Oh, shibby. Shibby? Exactly. <laughs> it's like you just fall right into place. It, it's like an old friend that you hadn't talked to in a while, but you pick up where you leave off. So it's good stuff. I know. It, it was it was truly bizarre because I, I remember, you know, back in the day in, in high school, for me anyway, like Shibby was... It ran right. Yeah, it was, it, it, was, it was everywhere. Yeah. It, it, it was everywhere. It was it was the I didn't do it kid. It was it was, yeah. it was it was just the catchphrase of the moment and it was it was incredible, but then it just kinda faded away. I, you think Shibby's due for a comeback? I would I would venture to say it's uh I think it's due for a comeback. like me and my brother uh, we both we got both have tiny hands so when that when that console dropped it felt like the company like deliberately just slapping us in the nuts and saying like here's the duke have fun with that <laughs> have fun with that guys <laughs> God, no, it, it felt terrible to like pick up this this juggernaut of a controller and just know like there's no way I can handle this properly. I I I just am incapable of handling it, this. It monster. felt like the worst. It felt like every terrible part of the Dreamcast controller for me. Yeah, the the Duke is a is a behemoth, but you know it it belongs in a museum. God damn it! <laughs> I'll have you know, I have like two friends of mine that prefer using that controller, and I'm like, you guys like. It's all comes back full circle. I'm like, no, you guys are the special types of psychos. You think I'm a psycho that likes to edit fucking video and audio. You guys hold the Duke. Fuck you. Well, I'm going to transition us uh, to talking about what we're actually here to talk about, I guess. Um, maybe I can toss out and, and then? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> uh, so in case you haven't noticed, dear listeners, uh, we have uh, a voice that's only been on the show once prior uh, in the form of Richie. Uh, from the Super Media Bros podcast, uh, he came on the show uh, to talk about Paprika uh, with me a while back. That was a fantastic episode. I had a lot of fun with that. And for whatever the fuck reason, it took at least a year to get you back. Uh, we're working on it. We're doing, Things are in motion. We're trying to improve relations with our friendly podcasts on the internet. But, uh, Richie, how's it going, man? How you been? It's, it's going <laughs> fantastically. Uh, been fan- It's been good, man. Um Rolling along with Super Media Bros, uh, another year in the can, and uh, starting 2023 off. Uh, hopefully, it'll be just as good as it was last year. Like we had a lot of fun with the content we covered in 2022. Uh, we we kind of rolled back a little on our Cult Cinema Showdown series, where we were trying to not do it like too much. That way, when it does come around, it feels like a special occasion. Um, I, because that was always the goal is like once we hit 100 episodes of that to kind of scale it back and then make it more of a special event kind of thing, uh, which coincidentally leads us to uh, how we're doing today's episode, which is I, I think is cool because both of these movies that we're going to be talking about have been on my radar to put in our cult cinema showdown series for a while. So it'll be nice to just talk about them, period, because we just haven't gotten around to them. Well, awesome. I mean, this this I guess serves as like a halfway cult cinema showdown episode. Yeah. Uh, this is a a spiritual like successor or like a parallel to that. Yeah. So uh, as as Richie had alluded, um, 
we are doing our guilty pleasures month here at catching up on cinema uh, and I've been trying my best to have guests uh, in the form of other podcast hosts on the show uh, to make the picks um, from week to week. Um, and in doing so, I've also been trying to kind of emulate the show format, uh, as evidenced by the rolling intro uh, that differs greatly from our own. <laughs> um, uh, so in in the grand tradition of Super Media Bros's uh, cult cinema showdown, um, we're here to talk about two guilty pleasure films, one selected by Richie and one selected by myself. And we are going to be, I guess... I don't. I don't want to watch my kids fight, Richie. So I, I, this is hard for me. This is really hard <laughs> for me to call a showdown. But I guess the official title is "Dude, Where's My Car?" versus "Beavis and Butthead Do America." So I guess the theme, the common theme between these two films, is it's about two dumbasses uh, and or buttheads uh, who are looking for a seemingly innocuous plot device. Yeah. Um, Merry mishaps ensue and not quite a body count, but you can actually, you can actually kind of like jump to a conclusion and assume that a couple lives were lost along the way. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, it, it was funny, like watching both of these movies. Cause I, I watched both of these movies in theaters when they came out and they were staples of my home collection and have been for years. Like I, I physically own copies of both of these movies. Uh, and yeah, that plot device between the two of them, like literally what you said, two dumbasses in search of something. And coincidentally, they are both like objects and also to get laid, which I think is hilarious. Oh yes. It's absolutely <laughs> funny. Like one movie, they, they lose their fucking TV. And then the other movie, they lose their fucking car and it's like, all right, cool. But you know, all the stuff they run into along the way is just shenanigan filled. And I love stuff like that. And I think that's why these two movies were fun to revisit. Um, Beavis and Butthead is always a fun watch. Uh, be it the series, the rebooted 2011 series, the rebooted 2022 series, or both of the features, really. Um, Dude, where's my car? Man, that fell into that weird era in the like late nineties, early two thousands where every comedy was like, for lack of a better term, stupid comedy that appealed to the high school and college crowd and were riddled with uh pop punk bands. I I've noticed that about a lot of these films. Some of them hold up. Some of them have aged poorly. Jokes have aged poorly in some of them, but they are still charming in some weird way. Like, Dude, Where's My Car was always a, like a, a good rewatch for me. And um, watching Sean William Scott and Ashton Kutcher, you know, on paper, you know, at the time, it's like, huh, these guys really work together well. And they surprisingly do, you know. I'm not saying they're, they would be a good live-action Beavis and Butthead, but pretty damn close when you consider um, at the time that this was out, we had already had Wayne and Garth, Bill and Ted, Jay and Silent Bob, you know, you kind of add Jesse and Chester to that ad. And then eventually Harold and Kumar, you know, stuff like that. Same director also did Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. And, and that style like shows, I mean, this is, this is absolutely um, dated in a lot of ways, but some of this stuff is still, it's still good. You know, I, it still makes me chuckle. Like I chuckled this morning watching this movie. So if if he can still get a rise out of me, I'm like, all right, cool. Because I I'm not necessarily a tough customer when it comes to making me laugh, but I love stupid humor. I ca I just can't get enough of it. Like, there's just something about it where I'm like, I know I shouldn't laugh at this stuff because it's dumb, but it's it's fucking hilarious. Yeah, I personally I I tend to veer towards I guess you'd call it like smart dumb 
where where it's like it is dumb like when when you think about what's been delivered to you but it's delivered to you in a in a sharp way like like a lot of uh airplay and a lot of some of those sight gags and a lot of some of those eye rolling just like wordplay moments and whatnot just the deadpan the way they just kind of drop it in your lap and it's like oh wait that was funny like for some reason that tickles me quite a lot yeah I, i actually share your thing about about the style of humor in this movie because for me something that i i kind of miss in comedies is this this type of just like it takes place in a parallel reality kind of comedy where the rules do not apply or that this is a cartoon world where everything exists in this realm to to entertain us the audience it's not meant to reflect our our actual daily life and our existence like that's the thing that sometimes bugs me about like rom-coms and whatnot is that they have they have to have that serious moment where like things get real and it's like you know sometimes i just want to watch seinfeld and just just like have a good time like like i don't want to watch friends where they have to have like a schmaltzy like ross and rachel moment every Mm -hmm. every now and again like it's not like it's a massive intrusion or anything but my preference tends to veer towards if it's if you're trying to make me laugh just just focus on that and if it's dumb, even better, <laughs> because then I don't have to pay attention all that much. And it extends to the production design of Dude, Where's My Car as well. Like, like it's not it's not a glossy, expensive-looking movie by any means, but the, the set designs and the costuming are curated in such a way that it's like, yeah, we're, we, we clearly know what we're trying to achieve, and it's a dumb fucking comedy with, with two central protagonists who are dim light bulbs, but charming in their own right <laughs> right yeah and so you you had mentioned that you saw both of these in the theater yep um and do you own both of them like in in some home media format yeah i own uh beavis and butthead do america and dude where's my car on dvd and they're both from the original uh pressing of the dvds like i bought dude where's my car um either in 2000 or 2001 when it hit home video and i i still have that exact same copy in fact, I can remember putting it on in my bedroom. Uh, I was like 14. I can still remember putting it on in my bedroom to watch and then falling asleep and then waking up to the DVD menu just looping. And I'm like, oh, yeah, this is still on. You know, it's, it, was a, it was a comfort watch for me. You know, a lot, of, a lot of movies, you know, during like high school were comfort watches for me. This was one of them. And um, I feel like that's, that's probably why I picked it, honestly. Because um, a lot of people either really love this movie or they really fucking hate it. And I really love this movie. I belong to that camp. And uh, for me, like, it was just that nostalgia, you know, of being like, oh, my God, this was, like, a movie that I religiously watched in high school. And it was always on, like, you know, and if it wasn't on, you know, my DVD, it was on Stars, you know? Like, you know, back when everybody had a Stars and Encore subscription, and that was the place to go, <laughs> you know? I would time it where if I knew it was coming on Stars West, I would turn it on Stars East, and it would come on again. I loved this movie a lot. And... Then I just didn't watch it for a long time, you know, because I found other films and I got into more, you know, cinema, cinema, you know, stuff where um, around that same time I was watching, you know, I would go from Dude, Where's My Car to fucking Casino because I love Scorsese <laughs> as well. So, you know, my friends would come over to my house and I would have my VHSs like in my room and they're looking, they're like, OK, well, there's Silent Bob Strike Back on VHS, then Casino, like the dual VHS box, like right next to it. And then like. Jim Carrey's How the Grinch Stole Christmas and VHS's of Wayne's World and Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure and A Nightmare on Elm Street. 
you know, like just different shit, you know, and dude, where's my car was just mixed in with all that. And, you know, yeah, guilty pleasure. Sure. But I, I fucking enjoy it. It's still fun to go back and watch and um, revisiting uh, the plot synopsis like years later, because I'll be honest, like as much as I watched this in high school up until recently, I want to say it has been 10 years, at least 10 years since I've watched this movie. And I, I typically will watch most of the films that we cover on Super Media Bros with my girlfriend because it's been fun uh, being with them for uh, going on five years now. There's a lot of movies they haven't seen, so I get a lot of um, joy in introducing films to other people that they haven't seen, and they haven't seen a lot of stuff. And they were like, I've never seen or heard of this. And I'm like, oh, my God, we have to watch this. And it was like a few weeks ago, and it was the first time I'd watched it in like over a decade. And so when the opportunity to do this came up, I was like, oh, my God, I want to do this movie. You know, it wasn't my first choice because I was supposed to come on and hang out with you guys last week. But whenever I was like thinking more about it, I said, oh, this this is absurdly uh in my wheelhouse completely. It's it's dumb humor. It's it's stuff that still makes me laugh. I still like the actors. And there's a lot of other actors in this movie that, uh, you know, you forget her in it. Like Jennifer Garner is in this as one of the girlfriends, one of the twins, uh, Wanda. And then you had, like me and you were talking before uh, we came on here. Like you were like, I can't wait to see Donkey Lips in the, in the, uh, the bubble wrap suit. And I'm like, oh my God, I forgot he was in this. <laughs> it's one of those blink and you'll miss it uh, moments. And then you have other people like Charlie O'Connell and uh, Hal Sparks. And like, you forget these people are in this movie. And uh, even Christy Swanson is in this movie. It's like, dude, what the hell? Like y'all are all in this, like really like, you know, for lack of a better term, this really like shitty, like teen, you know, uh, college humor, stoner comedy from 2000. Like what the fuck? <laughs> you know? Well, I mean, it was a pretty, it was a pretty strong subgenre at the time like yeah. it i feel like i i have an exact i'm not a, a steward of the genre or anything but i feel like half-baked really really kind of exploded things quite a lot and we kind of got a lot of things that were hanging on to that to some degree like like playing off of that a little bit i mean there were parts of this that was like for some reason some deep primordial element in my brain was like huh fat beach that's a movie i haven't thought about in a long time <laughs> <laughs> i think it was during the the music video portion of this one but but it, it was just bringing back memories of like movies that weren't contemporary to this one necessarily but ones that were certainly coming out around the time probably a little bit before um but yeah actually seeing how sparks because i i had i remember donkey lips I had forgotten Hal Sparks. As soon as he popped onto the screen, I was like, "Oh wow, that that really dates this." <laughs> like, like it not not in a bad way, but it just serves as a a marker for like the time period in which this was coming out. Because I I remember distinctly those um, I love the insert decade name here yep. shows being super popular, and I I consumed them. Like I watched all of that shit, and Hal Sparks. Uh, and I think uh, Michael Ian Black, yep. uh, the two of them really, really stood out amongst the the commentators they got for those shows. Um, and just seeing Hal Sparks with his 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 fro not frosted tips, but his gelled hair, I was like, oh shit! Yep. I remember who I was when he was a thing. Oh my God, I remember yeah. who I was when he was in Spider Man too. <laughs> 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 That's funny because I forgot he was in that too. 
I know. It, he he was kind of everywhere for two seconds and then nowhere, as far as I know. <laughs> Although I seem to remember one of his early claims to fame that he got some shit for, like, from his friends. And I think they even brought it up on one of those I Love the Decade uh, shows. Was He was on, like, an episode of Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman or something at some point wow <laughs> i mean if if you're if you're a working actor you're gonna have stuff like that mm-hmm. on your resume you're gonna do murder she wrote you're, you're gonna do dr quinn medicine woman you're gonna do all that shit at some, at some point but calling back just for one second to what you're saying about your movie collection when you're in high school i feel like maybe that's just a like a thing amongst like movie fans of a certain age particularly male movie fans of a certain age because i think back to like my friend it's like it's not a one-for-one match to yours but there's like these like really strong parallels where it's like it it wasn't casino it was goodfellas and it it wasn't nightmare on elm street it was texas chainsaw massacre right (laughs) and it wasn't dude where's my car it was half baked, so it's like there's all these equivalents. <laughs> it's just like, yep. I, I guess just like young men of a certain age, maybe just like gravitate to those those genres that have nothing to do with each other. Yeah, dude. Because I, I remember um, again going back to just the movie collection bit of it. My friends, like I was in a band in high school, like me and like three other people that played music together. Because uh, they would come over to my house after school to you know jam or they would come all of them would come spend the night with me and i remember um our singer uh came from a very like super christian super conservative family and he was just like fucking mind blown and loved every second of casino and was like dude i love this shit and he was like he was kind of like that rebellious kind of person where he was like no i want to listen to fucking metallica and i want to listen to like Iron Maiden and I want to see all these movies that I'm sheltered from. So the, he came over to my house because I was like that person for him. I, I I had like, you know, I was his dealer, if you will, of like of, yeah. of, of, of cinema. And I'll never forget. Um, he was like, do you have anything else that's like casino? And I was like, taxi driver, <laughs> good fellas. Like I started just showing him Scorsese's movies and he was like, I fucking love Raging Bull so much, dude. Like he was all about all that shit. And then I would show him, like, you know, Dude, Where's My Car, Jay and Silent Bob, and all these other comedies. He's like, I fucking love all this shit. And I corrupted his little mind, I think. So <laughs> I'm picturing him showing up at your doorstep, like, scratching his forearm, being like, what else you got, man? <laughs> hey, man, you got any more of those comedies? You know? Like, yeah, I do, actually. Comedies? Yeah, you got any more of those comedies? You got, you got any more of that ultraviolence? I'm like, yes, I do. I certainly do, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I got what you need. I got I, exactly. So, but it was fun, you know. And um, I I think that's again, you know, going back to that's why I gravitated uh, towards this. It was absolutely, um, it was absolutely nostalgic for me. And uh, like like I mentioned, like way at the top, like some of the some of the stuff like content didn't age well as far as like some of the jokes didn't like really age that great. But other than that, I could see like the rest of it. It's just it's just dated. It's a product of its time, you know, and. uh uh, anytime that O'Connell shows up on the screen, it's just, he's so like, he's a likable dude. Like he's, he's like genuinely like a nice dude, like in almost any other media, whenever, you know, he's around. So to see him play this, this dickhead jock douchebag that wants to just beat the shit out of everybody. I'm like, Oh my God. Like I buy it, but I don't want to like the dude is, he's so goofy, you know? And like seeing um, them going to get their uh, their fucking Adidas track suits at that one uh, 
dude's shop. It's like, dude, we bought cell phones. Like, oh my God, these are the tiny little brick Nokia phones with the, the long antennas. Like, it's all this shit that is like, okay, I am remembering parts of my childhood that I forgot about, like the brick, like the brick Nokia cell phones. Like, holy shit, dude. Did we really walk around with those fucking things thinking, oh, my God, we got cell phones finally. Ah. We really did. I can't remember a time I didn't have an iPhone. And now I'm looking at these like, God damn. Yeah, I, I remember when, you know, having 10 megabytes of storage for for ringtones was really, really popular yeah. in school. And, you know, each of those ringtones cost you 10 fucking dollars. If you could even figure out how to get it on the damn thing, <laughs> yeah, and then you didn't get to preview what they uh, what they were. So if you if you spent like the ten dollars on the ringtone, and you're like, oh, I really like this song. This needs to be like my ringtone. It was always the part of the song you didn't want on there. It's like, oh no, I don't uh-huh. want that part. I wanted this part, and you just had to guess. Yeah, for it's it. not the chorus or something. It's yeah. like the couple seconds leading up to it. And then what was worse though was the uh, the ring back tones. <gasps> Uh, where it would it would play a tone on the on the person calling you's end, um, yeah, different world, folks. In case you're if in case you happen to be a younger person that isn't familiar with what we're talking about, but th- that's always kind of the charm of a nostalgia watch is that like I, I've noticed that this is just a really common thread with with this sort of activity is that you it reminds you of like both what the world was when when you were exposed to think the thing but also who you were when when it first hit you and and a lot of like the the nostalgia watches that are special to you for whatever reason i i feel like timing honestly has quite a lot to do with it It, it's not necessarily about the quality of the product it's more just like who you were and what it meant to you when it got to you Mm -hmm. um and it just so happens that i don't think this is a bad movie it does as you said have at least two jokes one of which is recurring that doesn't fly in 2023 but as you said it, it's a symptom of its time yeah like i don't i don't think it was genuinely malicious like there's there are outtakes at the end of this movie that point to it being a very lively very fun production sure um so i, I don't think there's any malicious intent or anything it's just it was 2001 when this when this bitch came out you know that's just how it was um but to like talk about the the a little bit of like the background on this movie, uh, like just the production history, yep. just a little bit. There's very little to say as far as I know. I haven't like listened to the commentary on this film or anything. I didn't take it that far, but um, it is worth pointing out that uh, as Richie had said, our director um, also did Harold and Kumar uh, go to White Castle. So just the first one, uh, his name is Danny Liner. And um, if you look at his IMDb, um, it's kind of incredible actually. Like yep. he's very, he's very much a hired gun director, um, but he has worked on some of the biggest TV shows in history. Um, not for long stretches by any means, but as a hired gun, as a, as a Merc director, uh, he's probably kind of top tier. I mean, as far as I know, he's a, he's passed away. Um, but definitely not one of those like strong creative types as far as I know, like, but the man put in work and he if you have a favorite show more than likely he did at least one episode of it right. uh, so that was really interesting to to learn about um but as far as our cast is concerned uh, we have ashton kutcher who i'm curious you, you say you you like the two leads here um ashton kutcher i don't have much of an opinion on negative or positive i've never like outright hated him but he does have a lot of oddities in his filmography 
um, that I have on my like to do list just out of I don't know morbid curiosity. The things things that I have not heard good things about, but I'm just curious what what the hell happened because uh, the butterfly effect. I remember having a a very emo roommate back in college who was all about that movie, and then I, I ended up listening to a podcast that spoiled the whole thing for me, and I was like. Really, that's the movie. That, that's the movie that you were all obsessive about, right? I. Uh, it's a weird parallel, but I. I think it makes sense. I compare Ashton Kutcher doing the butterfly effect to Jim Carrey doing the number twenty-three. Oh, oh, I, I, I think I understand what you mean by that. Where it's the typically goofy guy going into like a horror thriller kind of like territory, but it's. It doesn't quite stick the landing. And again, like the number 23, that's another one that I I love, actually. I actually really enjoy that movie because it's different and because it didn't quite stick the landing and because it's like Jim Carrey doing like a, a serious like horror thriller kind of movie or whatever. And then like Ashton Kutcher doing But it's, I guess it's because it's, uh, they, they both get typecast, you know, for the movies they typically do. And so not everybody buys into it. Like they couldn't buy into Jim Carrey being serious and like in this kind of role. Um, other roles, sure. This one, for whatever reason, they couldn't. And same with Ashton Kutcher and like the butterfly effect. And he's done other things like comedy wise. And that's really like what most people see him as is like a, a really goofy kind of dude. And it works for him. Uh, I, I also don't have an opinion one way or another where it's like I don't I don't hate the dude. And, you know, I'm not like a big super fan. I like him. All right. You know, if he's in something and it looks interesting, sure, I'll check it out. But I'm not going to go out of my way to go see the latest action Kutcher movie in the theater. You know, that's, it's not what I do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I know where you're coming from and I, I largely agree. Like he's, he's just usually pleasant. Like he's never detracted from anything that I've seen. I mean, I've watched quite a lot of that 70s show back in the day. He's, he knows what he's doing as Kelso for sure. Yep. I wasn't as impressed with uh, what little I saw of him on two and a half men. Um, Same. But you know, Charlie Sheen's a tough act to follow. Um, yeah. But um, he leaves a big mess at the very least. Yeah. <laughs> Wherever he goes. Yeah, no shit, right? Um, um, but I was always curious about his uh, his Steve Jobs movie, just because that was the movie that like he tried to adopt the fruitarian diet for and apparently did some serious harm to himself, as far as I recall, like, yeah. in, in, in attempting to adhere to that diet. I don't yeah. know if it ended up being any good. Yeah, I, I, I really didn't check it out. Like, that's one that I've never gotten around to seeing. But it looks interesting enough, you know? So it's not like it's out of the wheelhouse completely to watch. It's just I haven't made my way around it, like, years later. So, Well, it doesn't help that it was a Deep Impact Armageddon scenario, too, where the Michael Fassbender, uh, Steve Jobs movie, I think, came out around the same time, if yeah. not the same year. Um, and it's fucking Fassbender. Like, what are you going to do against that? <laughs> oh, yeah, Kate Winslet just happens to be in the supporting cast, too. So, you know, mm-hmm. good luck with that. Um, but Sean William Scott, on the other hand, I really like him. I've always liked him. Uh, he's he's very charming, very energetic. Uh, he seems to take his acting very seriously, despite how goofy a lot of his roles tend to be. Like, I'm, I'm looking at, of course, Stifler and American Pie. And then sure. even the rundown with our boy uh, Dwayne the... I think he was Dwayne the Rock Johnson in that one, or was he just Dwayne Johnson? I can't I remember. I feel like he was still Dwayne the Rock Johnson because there, it was so strange because there were movies that he dropped the Rock 
moniker for in the movies where they were like, no, you kind of need to be the rock for this one. Like, we don't know how good of an actor you are just yet. Shit, we were both wrong. He was just the rock. Well, <laughs> fuck. The rock down. <laughs> he was still going by just the rock. Just rock. Drop the drop the the. You know, like, you know, Vince McMahon had like a knack for dropping people's first names. We're going to drop the from your name, Dwayne. And you're just going to be rock. <laughs> yeah, I could totally hear that conversation. Playing yeah. Out. <laughs> you're just going to be rock Johnson. <laughs> like, okay. Just throw a couple pals in there and we're gold. <laughs> exactly. But you know, you know what is uh, a couple of factoids about. Uh, dude where's my car which i think is cool that we're doing beavis and butthead alongside it this the the script for this movie is actually like a rejected script from a beavis and butthead concept when they first pitched an idea for a beavis and butthead feature so i think that's kind of funny you know in a way and um it was was that with ashton kutcher also like you know the movies that he chooses or whatever he almost didn't do this movie he uh he was reading the script for it and thought it was fucking stupid and uh, and then coincidentally, what sold him on it was one of the stupidest scenes in the fucking movie, and it's the tattoo scene from the ah. uh, from the shop where they pick up their um, tracksuits. So, like, yeah, no, okay. I, I could see that working where you're reading it back to yourself and you're thinking of like Abbott and Costello or something. And you're like, this this is like classic comedy routine, but dumb, but dumb to the extreme. Like this is, this is the two thousands version of, of a similar bit of like who's on first or something. Yep. Uh, <laughs> but, um, on that note, um, how did you want to attack this one? Did you want to go front to back on it or do you just want to play highlights? Just talk. I mean, keys to the castle are yours, Richie. You can guide us through this any way you want, or we can just schmooze. I mean, we can do a little bit of both because I feel like the plot's pretty fucking simple. Like front to back, the plot is extremely simple. Um, you got two guys who uh, wake up, don't know what the fuck happened the night before. Uh, they forget their girlfriend. They're dating a set of twins. You know, they forget their anniversary, of course, because that's what you fucking do. <laughs> you forget. Um, and then they're like, oh, yeah, well, we have gifts for them at least, but they're in the car. So we're just going to go drive over to their house and give them their gifts and uh, that'll be that. And ensues the plot of Dude, Where's My Car? Because Dude, Where's My Car? It's not there. And it's just this really fun, like, tracing your footsteps trip with a shitload of fuck happening. I mean, I'm talking, these two get hit by fucking cars, man. They get hit by fucking cars and just shake it off like, oh, okay, whatever. And the the film's only F-bomb comes from a little old lady driving the car that strikes... <laughs> Sean William Scott's character really hard fucking stoners and I'm like yeah 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 for for the PG-13 movie they got away with their one fuck word you know with this little old lady and I was like well that's perfect because that's that sells it like the little old lady cussing them out is pretty funny but yeah I, I think the scene like that follows that where they finally it doesn't immediately follow up, but they eventually get to their girlfriend's house um and the, and the place is fucking trash because apparently they threw a party there last night. Not to mention, like, they've woken up to a fridge load of, like, pudding. And um, apparently they work for a pizza delivery company and their owner, that owner shows up to their house because they have, like, all this pizza that's just around their, their home. And he's pissed at them for apparently stealing, you know, allegedly stealing all this fucking pizza. And, you know, 
I had to crack up at the line where he's just like, you know, make sure you never deliver pizza in this town again. And I'm just sitting there like, oh, no, I'll never deliver pizzas again. Jesus Christ, fuck me. You know, like, <laughs> I want to deliver <laughs> like I want to deliver pizzas, like, the rest of my life. Nothing wrong with being uh, your job or whatever, but, like, it's just so funny. Like, this dude's like, you'll never have a better job than delivering my pizzas. And it's like, okay, okay, buddy. <laughs> you know? well, I mean, what does it say about you that you haven't fired me yet? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's like- Right, exactly. It's just it's just so funny. And then like, you know, the random guy in the closet that comes out just to piss in their potted plant and goes back in the closet and they're like, I thought you knew this guy. Oh no, I thought you knew this guy. You know, the typical like, you know, short humor that happens and then you have um, you know, a plot that comes into play later is that uh they're always watching Animal Planet. Yes. You know, and that's a plot point that comes around later and you it's it seems throwaway at the time, you know, but it it, it comes around and makes sense or whatever later but anyway they they go to the twins house and it's all fucked up and there's there's a scene that you know at the time i was like oh this is this is great this is comedy and of course like we always you know over you know overanalyze shit years later you know they go over they make you know they make nice with the twins or whatever and they're just like oh we see you've already got the place cleaned up we'll we'll take out the trash and you know you guys go pamper yourselves and you know ashton kutcher's like oh, good thing they haven't seen the outside of this place or whatever <laughs> so they go fucking take the trash out but instead of you know doing the normal thing where you take like a few time out they decide to manhandle together like this fucking mount rush mount trash more if you will of garbage and for whatever reason, there is a fucking bottle cap on top of this thing that just whoop, just slides off and hits the floor. And it makes me laugh because I'm of the mindset that 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 Sean William Scott was. He was just like, just let it go, dude. Like, this, this is that real convincing. Like, he knows that he's going to try to pick it up. He's like, no, just just let it go. We got this. He's like, no, I can get it. <laughs> you fucker. Anyway, they they wind up just retrashing the twins' house, you know, because they trip over shit and cut the trash bags open and garbage juice everywhere and just ugh. like that. That was <laughs> yeah, one of those the, moments. The of squirting like, on the curtains was uh that was an old moment yeah, for me. Like that made me very uncomfortable. Squirting curtains, it's good but, stuff. Man. <laughs> squirting curtains, squirting <laughs> curtains. <laughs> I mean, that's a Vince McMahon cur- creation, right? That's, there. that's it, right there. <laughs> Damn it, we're gonna call it squirting curtains. It's like, I'm going to pair squirting curtains with draws. <laughs> He's going to puke. He's going to puke. Dude, coincidentally, I that's that's one thing that because I work in the garbage industry, like, I know that smell. So, like, that <laughs> fucked with me whenever I saw it, like, recently. I was like, <laughs> I just had that yeah. moment. I was just like, oh, God. Like, No. Yeah, I, I have some industry experience as well, and yeah, it's a particular stank that uh, yeah. it, it's visceral. It goes down your throat. It works its way into you. Yes, it, <laughs> it becomes a part of you. <laughs> it really does. At first, it's constricting, but then, then it becomes, it becomes a, part a part of you. Of you. <laughs> it's true, though. But yeah, these these uh, these some bitches they uh, they drop that fella from uh, Fraggle Rock in their girlfriend's uh, living room. Uh, the trash heap monster, if you're familiar. Yep. Um, and yeah, it, it creates quite the mess. And they are tossed out onto the lawn. Literally. And there's actually like a really subtle wordplay gag here that always works for me. And and let me allow me to elaborate. So yep. Ashton Kutcher stands up and he says, I got three words. Anger management. And I just love stupid fucking humor like that that like signals to the audience. It's like it's not declaring itself a joke. But if you're paying attention, 
it's signaling to you just how fucking stupid this guy is. And yep. it's it's that when somebody when somebody like declares they're going to speak this many words and then fucks it up and also making a list where you start with an A and then you move on to two. That always gets me. It's like an A, fuck you, and two <laughs> Your mother sucks good sucks cocks in hell. It's like I think you fucked up the list there a little bit, buddy. <laughs> yeah, that's that's like a buzz in Home Alone when he's talking to uh you know, old girl in the apartment in France. He's mm-hmm. like, You're not at all worried that something's gonna happen to Kevin. He's like, No, for he says no for three reasons. A, I'm not that lucky. Two or, or he says like A or like two and then D. You're like, What yeah. the fuck? A, yeah. I'm not that lucky. <laughs> two we have timers. Uh, and like, D, we live on the most boring street in the United <laughs> States of America where nothing remotely dangerous will ever happen. I'm like, bro, you're a fucking idiot. And I love it. You know, that, so that speaks to me. I totally get it. That's fucking great. <laughs> no, and, and it's it's kind of in the same vein as, you know, Back to the Future. Make like a tree and get the hell out of here. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like, it's like you, they're setting themselves up to do something and then they completely bungle it without even realizing it. it it's a small gag but it always gets me and it happens a few times in this movie but um on the way to the girlfriend's house that we did have a, a couple of gags that are worth highlighting one is the and then uh, yes. the drive through um that's a protracted one note gag that either works for you or it doesn't but basically it's ashton kutcher getting into a shouting match with a woman uh in a drive through like pa system that just refuses to engage with him. She's just completely fucking with him. And no matter what he says, the response is always going to be, and then... <laughs> and just just watching the acceleration from, like, trying to reason with her and play her game to just literally putting his fist into the thing and screaming. I will give Ashton Kutcher credit for that. He is very good at stepping on the gas in kind of a Chris Farley sort of way, where he goes from way down here to... <gasps> <laughs> yeah, he's he's a good physical comedian. He is. And that scene in particular is pretty goddamn funny for a multitude of reasons. Like when they pull up to the restaurant, it isn't just a Chinese restaurant, even though it's called Chinese food. Food? There's fish and chips listed on the window. <laughs> yeah. And I, I kind of laughed at that. And then a, a visual, if I'm remembering correctly, there's kind of a visual gag where... um. It's a takeout box as the PA box on the thing, and it's on a post. But when they drive off after he annihilates it, it's on the wall of the restaurant. You know, there's like a couple of little gags like that that I noticed that, you know, production continuity and, and things of that nature. But the fact that he just destroys that thing with his fist, like he just puts his fist through the thing and just starts tearing it to shreds. And it feels like a good Snickers commercial. Like honestly, oh. he's like you're not yourself when you're hungry, like because he's hangry yes. as hell right there. You yeah. know, like yeah, yeah. I hadn't thought about that, but you're absolutely it just, right. It just cracks me up. It's like you're not you when you're hungry. <laughs> yeah, <What? laughs> just beats the piss out of a PA box. <laughs> also, around that time, we we get introduced to their uh, their dealer. Yes. Um, which uh, it's funny that this movie has a catchphrase in the form of shibby. Mm. It it can be used in any context. There is there are no limits to to where shibby can be deployed. Um, but it also does seem to double as an, as like an allusion to smoke a pot, getting high, in in some regard. Uh, so Nelson is their shibby dealer, um, and he is played um, by David Herman, 
who I largely know, uh, funny enough, um, for being in Office Space, which happens to be directed by Mike Judge, who happens to be the director of Beavis and Butthead Do America, which we'll be talking about very shortly. Connections. Revolutions. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, I know him as Michael Bolton in uh, Office Space, but he's a very prolific comedic actor. And I didn't know this, um, but I, I sussed it out. I, 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 I kind of sussed it out when I was watching this movie because there's a particular voice he assumes when he's being harassed by the bullies later on, where he starts to sound a little Pee Wee Herman-esque. Funny enough, his name is Herman. Yep. Um, and I was like, oh, shit, he's Jimmy on King of the Hill. Like, oh, <laughs> hey, Tommy. Yeah. <laughs> like, sell, sell the soul to Tommy. <laughs> you work for Jimmy. <laughs> I was like, oh, shit, he's Jimmy. I never do that. Isn't it funny, though, like all the connections that we're making between these two movies? Like, really, like when you think about them on the outside, you're like, what do these two even have in common? It's like fucking, you know. Six or six or seven degrees of Kevin Bacon, like really, if you think about it, it's kind of neat seeing all the people. Yeah, I mean, I mean, in this case, it's like one degree, two degrees. Yeah. <laughs> like, like Kevin, ba- like Kevin Bacon may have cameoed in this movie. Who knows? Maybe. <laughs> I mean, that would have been cool. I would actually have no problem with Kevin Bacon being every movie that ever existed. Just like, just have him on the set. Just like have Mr. Bacon involved. <laughs> Um, but yeah, there are a lot of connections, probably because, like, if we're being honest, like, the world of comedy probably isn't that big. Um, it, it's probably a fairly tight-knit group. Like, it, in terms of, like, Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon, like, connections between comedic actors and writers, they probably at least are aware of each other, even if they don't associate with each other. So it's no surprise that there's connections. And actually, the the detail that you shared at the top about this being a rejected Beavis and Butthead script... I didn't know that, but that's that's kind of incredible when you think about it. Yeah, because it was it was pitched as a live action concept. Yes. It wasn't even just like you know cartoon, because the 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 deal with Mike Judge was he had always wanted to do a live action iteration of it, but it always just worked out better as a cartoon because who the fuck would you actually get to play like a live action Beavis and Butthead? Because it do would you be, want to know who they uh, who they had fingered for the roles? I I know at one point. Um, and I feel like I feel stupid because I can't remember his, his name, but um, Doogie Howser uh, would have been Beavis at one point. I feel like oh Neil Patrick Harris. Yep. I mean his the skull shape. It's yeah, just, it it fits. <laughs> like, yeah. like his head, his head. I'm sorry to say, handsome man, but it the shape of his skull is pretty similar to Beavis. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, apparently, David Spade and Adam Sandler uh, were considered. Adam um, Sandler would be a great butthead. See, I it's don't his head need shape. it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he has he has the kind of the nose a little yeah. bit, like yeah, yeah. It, he's kind of got a narrow face, and it, I hate to say it, but it kind of works. Yeah, <laughs> but I think the main thing is that, and, and we'll talk about this more in detail, is that Mike Mike Judge often knows exactly what he's what he's trying to accomplish. Sure, like his his eye for the American public is his discerning eye for for the eccentricities of the American public is really special um he really knows how to capture everyday folks <laughs> absolutely <laughs> and and turn them into comedic caricatures that still hew very close to people you actually know and have dealt with in your daily life yeah it's a gift i i, I really do like mike judge except for that extraction movie uh yeah extract um that that 
did not work for me even a little. <laughs> same. Big same. Anyway, dude, where's my car? Yeah. So um, I think around here we get introduced to Christy Swanson for a minute. Uh, Chrissy Boner. Boner. <laughs> Which what a is name. a fun word. Yeah. Bonerific. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, good old Vince probably would have made a pay-per-view out of that one. <laughs> We're going to call it Bonerific. It's like, all right, cool. <laughs> Bonerific 2000. Yeah, we're going to hold it on Valentine's Day in February. (laughs) They only did the Valentine's Day Massacre once, right? Yeah. That's a a one-shot show? Yeah, and then they they brought it back. It's an NXT thing now. I think Ah. they call it like like NXT Massacre or something like that. Uh, I can't remember what they... they Yeah, bear with me, folks. Richie knows the wrestling even better than I and... Kyle doesn't, so like every excuse, man, I got to take advantage of what I got. So if, if we veer into wrestling uh, periodically, it's just going to happen. Just oh, just yeah. hit that fast forward button. It'll be all right. We'll get back on track eventually. Yeah. <laughs> but like, dude, I say, okay, so um, they they brought in uh, Christy Swanson uh, and uh, in comes the O'Connell with uh, every, like, he says this a lot, the storm bashing time. And then at one point, he's like, dirt bashing time. I'm like, God damn, he just wants to beat the piss out of everybody. <laughs> like, he's really good at it, though. Like he like he said, he, he normally plays such such sweet characters, but he knows exactly what to do with this role. Because he, he's like, even some of his body language is like borderline simian. Like, mm-hmm. there's a couple of scenes where he's eating, where he's like, <laughs> he looks like a fucking caveman. He's making a mess on his face. He looks he looks like he should be scratching his head and putting a hard boiled egg in his mouth at the same time. That, that's that makes sense. And I, I I'm probably really wrong here, but I feel like I remember him or the other uh, Jerry being in Geico commercials with the Geico caveman at one point. Is was that a thing? <sighs> I can't remember, but those Geico commercials were pot stuff man yeah. i think they tried to make a tv show out of that they did they definitely did. fuck dude like come on man like as far as concepts go that is as thin as it gets like come on man <laughs> fucking a but like yeah so that that just begins a whole other like inside running you know gag you know with with him like wanting to beat the piss out of all the nerds and the stoners and all this other shit because around this time, like this is where the movie kind of gets a little jumbled. Like they they run into Christy Boner, who apparently uh, got paid to show her tits, and like they don't remember any of this, and like that happens. And then the five alien space chicks fucking show up, and uh, the, this is around the time they visited the strip club, and. Uh, the, the tailor with their uh, track suits and they apparently bought fucking cell phones and a vehicle and there's this really uh weird insert of like a montage sequence of bust a move where they're partying and driving this car with all these chicks and then we get to one of the funnier cameos in this movie there's a few cameos in this film like one of them that I'll get we'll get to is like uncredited but they wind up in this vehicle and they pull up next to Fabio and one of his many women. And it's just a really funny scene where it's like a, a one up like back and forth, kind of a one upsmanship between the two of them where it's, you know, at the time, 
you know, they played it for gags or whatever. And then like Trey Parker, Matt Stone did something similar in basketball like a couple of years earlier where the two male protagonists like make out with each other. And, you know, that was always, it was always played as like a shock thing. Like, but, it, but again, in like 2023, I don't think, you know, most of us don't think shit of it, but like then it was played as like a shock thing or like a comedy bit where like Fabio was like, oh yeah, well like, let me rev the engine of my car. Okay. Well, we're going to rev the engine of this fucking car too. And then he's like, well, I'm going to put my arm around my hot model girlfriend. <laughs> and then like, well, I'm going to put my arm around my best friend right here. And then he kisses her and then they kiss each other. And then Fabio's just like, oh, okay, what the fuck ever. And then he like, drives off and it's like just the most random, you know, scene, like of all people, fucking Fabio, you know, um, it, Fabio strikes me as just kind of a cool guy because he he he's done a handful of comedic cameos from time to time. I mean, the man ate a seagull to the face. Uh, and he, he almost he come didn't. out a changed man after that. <laughs> he almost didn't. He didn't want to do that apparently in the in the um in the thing. Like he he almost like refused flat out. Really? So they, yeah. And I was like, that's that's fucking wild, man. I'm struggling to remember the movie, but I seem to remember him playing a cult leader in a different kind of stoner comedy. Not this one. In fact, I got my wires crossed a little bit when he showed up because I misremembered him as being Zoltan. Um, I forget what movie that was, but I'm fairly positive he played like a cult leader in a a stoner boob comedy in the 2000s or something. But um, the, the scene like almost works in 2023 the only problem with it is the the woman's reaction to it is she she yeah. like exhibits disgust and it's like but you almost got it but in like in concept on paper it it's it's kind of fun because it just shows that they're you know they're having a dick measuring contest that's like you easily could have just dropped it at any point but you just went through with it and you know at the end of the day the two of them are still friends it's not like any like there were any repercussions for it it's just a silly little aside in a movie full of them, honestly. <laughs> right. Um, you weren't thinking of Son of the Beach, were you, by any chance? I have to assume that was it. I haven't thought of that movie in a very long time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just, I remember uh, Carrot Top and all that other stuff. Like, this was all around the same time period and everything, too. But I always remember Fabio being such a good sport about the stuff that he did, cameo wise. Yeah. It was always fun, you know? And because, yeah. Don't because Fabio, like, until he started doing shit like this, you just took him like this, this beautiful man, like, model and like long flowing hair. And then he absolutely does not mind kind of making an ass out of himself on camera. And it's like, I mean, for fuck's sake, he was like, I can't believe it's not Butter Guy. Yeah. Like, you can't, you can't be that good looking and shilling fake butter products without having some sense of humor about yourself. Yeah, no shit. (laughs) <laughs> oh god uh, the dream to be a butter spokesman i mean what we had hugh jackman and kate and leopold creamery butter <laughs> yeah some folks would call that a margarine of success <laughs> oh no oh yeah podcast I w- over <laughs> i fucking i fucking went there if you want more of that stupid shit come to my podcast and i'll fucking make you turn ours off <laughs> <So> <laughs> just... <laughs> you'll get about six seconds in Oh god, the the, gr- the girlfriend is kind of an expert with the puns and the wordplay, and I I have no time for them. My brain recognizes opportunities to to deploy those, and I just I just skip right over it. It's it's kind of like it's kind of like having a brain wired for uh, that's what she said jokes. Yep. It's like I have the power, 
I choose not to use it. Yes. <laughs> I'm a better person. With great power comes great responsibility. Precisely, Rishi. <laughs> I have the power to deploy puns. I choose not to. That's right. I choose not to run. <laughs> <laughs> but dude like to get back on track with like some of these cameos in this movie like some more shenanigans um ensue between this car ride and they eventually run into these uh these people uh where they get just yoinked off the street into a van and it's it's a whole like gang of nerds like space nerds yeah and they're they're uh fearless leader zoltan and this is this goes back to why i exactly this goes back to why i picked this movie same set of friends in my band and like a couple of other people that hung around with us i would be driving and i would just at random let go of the steering wheel zoltan and just like you know shake the you know car a little bit just to fuck with everybody in the car and we because we all watched this movie and that was a big inside gag was doing the fucking zoltan thing with our hands just at random and it was the dumbest shit ever because the dude driving the car, and what made it funny for us was the dude driving the car in that scene in the movie is late to the party on it. Is there yeah. like, everybody does it like in perfect time? They're like, Zoltan. And he's like, Yeah, Zoltan. And he's like, Gets right back to the <laughs> he's car. He's trying to drive. Yeah. <laughs> that was just so funny, though. No, I, I love that. That was such a good gag. And yeah, I, I, I parroted Zoltan for quite a while as well. That that was actually probably my biggest takeaway when I first saw this movie. That was the funniest recurring gag in the whole thing for me is the hand gesture and Zoltan. Yeah, same. Um, and yeah, and just the, the timing. Like, it's one of those gags that's kind of like the anger management thing I point out where it's like it doesn't draw that much attention to itself. But if you just watch the guy doing the, the rear projection driving thing mm-hmm. and like everybody says Zoltan and and the ritual is every time it's said you need to do the hand gesture and you say oh fuck yeah yeah <laughs> like, oh, oh fuck. shit <laughs> shit it's <laughs> right he just yeah. has that look on his face that he's like trying to focus he's so serious too he's bro he's like so serious about it well he's probably crashed the van at least once before probably he doesn't so. want to do it again right and the the best selling part about that scene is uh when jesse and chester sit sandwiched between and surrounded by all of them they're explaining who they are and they're looking for like the space-time continuum and all this other shit which is that's another plot device that everybody that they run into is after for some reason um jerry uh, charlie o'connell's character wants to get it so him and his group of people can essentially like have sex with the space aliens the space aliens want it because eventually it's revealed they're kind of villains and uh these two uh i think german guys are uh also the subtitle said just nordic yeah i was gonna say there's something um they're after this space-time continuum and you know because it's mystery is only exceeded by its power or whatever and yeah, you know yeah. it's that's, that's uh, the quote <laughs> yeah it's what i'm saying it's just like a whole you know it's just a whole fucking thing and uh, anyway they're explaining this shit to jesse and chester and they kind of start like trying to stifle their laughter and one of them just is like it's okay you can laugh we're used to being mocked and then they just like let it out they're just like <laughs> you know because it's really it is dumb you know so yeah. um but they eventually go to this compound and they're just like, yeah, we're going to our, our leader Zoltan. And it's revealed. They're like, Oh yeah, he lives with his mom or like he lives with his parents or whatever, but we're not going inside the house. We're going over there. And it's just like this big fucking barn. And they get in there 
and this is where we see them getting held captive and then we we, we see donkey lips uh who was at the time unrecognizable to me because i was used to him having hair and i was used to him you know on salute your shorts and Years later, when I watched it, I was like, oh, my God, that's fucking Michael Bowen or Bowen, however you say his last name. I was like, oh, my God, that's fucking donkey lips. Holy shit, man. And he's in a bubble wrap suit. This is this is insane. They all have bubble wrap, like, jumpsuits with hoods, and it's the most ridiculous fucking thing ever. And they're like, these are our, uh, these are our space travel suits. It's like, yeah, yeah sure, these buddy, are okay. interstellar jumpsuits. Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> oh, and they have a beautiful recurring gag of constantly popping the bubbles like either some anytime somebody touches anything with their suit and just when they're standing in that assembly hall they just can't help themselves jesse and chester both just like poking whoever's standing it's it's cute it's really cute no it they, definitely they really is. squeeze all of it like they squeeze all the fun out of that particular gag yeah but they do but it's great donkey it- lips was that was like a a big deal for me because yeah. I, I watched quite a lot of salute your shorts when i was a little kid so- and i was like Holy shit, it's talking <laughs> Right, like, you know, us, you know, us growing up on, you know, Nickelodeon stuff, you know, obviously. Yeah. And, you know, we see all the, like, we've talked about all these cameos and, like, there's still a couple yeah. more to get to. But, like, I, I know, like, Trevor and I are both probably sitting here, like, that was the coolest cameo to see, probably, is, like, Donkey For me, like, yeah. Yeah, exactly, because you're just like, these guys uh, did this TV show in the early 90s, and it's like, where the fuck did all of them go? What did they ever do? And it's like, I mean, Don- Budnick and T2, that's kind of it. Yeah, yeah, and he does voice work from what I know too. Like he does like voice. Yeah, acting stoop work. kid, stoop yeah. kid. Hey Arnold, that's, that's right. right. And um, <laughs> so fucking, they wind up knocking uh, Jesse and Chester wind up knocking uh, Donkey Lips and uh, this other lackey out and stealing their suits, and then they go. Oh, the, the fire meeting. extinguisher gags! Oh, really, my God, that's really good. That's also another like you could have just done it yourself and then he does do it himself and it's like oh my god so fo- folks what we're alluding to here is they're they have a situation where they're they're being led into a back room by donkey lips and one other dude and our main characters like ashton kutcher keeps trying to like pantomime over to the the fire extinguisher that's that's near sean william scott like he's trying to gesture like hey maybe you should bonk him on the head with that very large heavy metal object <laughs> and like and sean williams guy keeps looking at and looking back at him he just kind of smiles and nods like, yeah, like okay <laughs> yeah that is a fire extinguisher yeah it is red isn't it <laughs> and like, at one point ashton kutcher like actually whispers to him like shoot him in the head with it yeah 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 and the cherry on top though is he actually walks over there and like gesticulates like grabbing it and like showing him what to do with it but then he like walks back <laughs> and, like, and he takes and the whole time he's like why don't you say something <laughs> right like dude I, the, the just the look that he gives him is just like dude go to hell like it, it was it just he's had enough of his shit i love that dynamic between two idiot characters and we'll we'll get into this in beavis and butthead as well is where there's these opportunities or these moments where one of them is like more lucid or, or demonstrates like a moment of clarity, like, like Sean William Scott's character. And this has many of them where because he's perpetually planted in front of the TV, watching animal planet and discovery channel, he picks up on some important things later on that seem, seem to be innocuous earlier in the movie, but like occasionally there'll be like a moment of brilliance from a complete idiot. (laughs) Right. And they, and they play them as like, um, like redemptive moments for these, these characters in a way too, which which is really cool though. Like the way that they spin it or whatever. It's like, Oh, they, they're not as dumb as they 
act. You know, they just they're just kind of aloof about things, really, if you think about it. Um, but yeah, that, that whole gag happens, and then they <laughs> when they okay. So coming from a musician standpoint, it <laughs> cracks me the fuck up when they get in there to introduce Zoltan as their leader, and this is like the big reveal that it's House Sparks or whatever. The dude on the little like Casio keyboard with the pre-done like drum shit, and he's just like holding out the little you know the notes and you know listening to it. And then I was like, oh my god, what the hell is this? And then like you know years later, I'm like, this this actually kind of slaps, as the young folks will say. It's like this yeah, is really it's fucking actually good. A, a nice little jingle. <laughs> yeah, it is, but just the look that he gives, like he comes out like almost way too fast, and then the drums kick in by the time he's on the stage, and he just looks, he's like, cut it, cut the music. Cut. He, the guy's just oh <laughs> he just stops playing like oops <laughs> that poor bastard he was really yeah. into it too <laughs> i know i actually would have loved to have heard the rest of that because it yeah. as you say it slaps it does <laughs> or it pops if you will with all the bubble wrap happening around them yeah, <laughs> yeah. got him yeah zing so uh, just they're you know doing the whole typical thing where they're trying to fit in and um you know listening to what the the plot of like their mission is where they just want to do interstellar space travel. And, you know, you find out later they've been, you know, intercepting all kinds of shit, you know, over the years. And it's like, oh, my God, like, you guys really, really had something here. And, and you know, y'all got y'all got fucking laughed at, but y'all were really on to something. So it is kind of funny for them, too. Um, And then they get, uh, I, I want to say, like, around this time is when, they eventually start finding like more pieces of the puzzle. Um, they go to like some dude bought their fucking car. Apparently, like, they go they go to get it from the impound. I'm not, I can't remember if this happened before this or after this, but eventually they make it to the car impound. And uh, yes, <laughs> but they find out later like that somebody bought their vehicle, and they. <laughs> They go and it's a, it's like an ostrich farmer, like it's this dude that just has like all these wild ostriches, and they get you know kidnapped because they get knocked out by these really like very well done like obviously like live ostriches, but then there's a really funny like puppet ostrich that is obviously a fucking fake one, and it's frightening honestly like to see those fuckers up close like that like oh hell no. Yeah, start- I mean, ostriches are terrifying to begin with, but yeah. that puppet, I'm sorry, there's a fantasy sequence involving the puppet. Yep. That, yep. Um, I, I don't want to step on your toes here, Richie, so no, would, you, would you care to share? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So uh, there's a couple of times where uh, Sean William Scott's character has, like, daydreams about um, getting oral sex from the leader of the hot alien chick crew. One of them is actually, like, a daydream of her. The next one is after this where he gets knocked out and it's the ostrich instead. And I could not help but just, this is so terrible. I just was sitting there. I was just like, well, if it's going to be anything with a throat that fucking long, (laughs) you know, like, oh my God, it it was just so frightening because it's, you know, it's funny, but it's like, it's like a fucking, uh, it's like a, uh, a paralysis demon. Like when you go to sleep, it's like your sleep paralysis demon. It's, it's this ostrich. And then it's the velociraptor in Jurassic park three. Alan, Alan, Alan. That's, that's that's that is a wonderful gag. Fun, yeah, fun fun story about that. I'll tell a fun story and then I'll get back to the movie. Uh, that's my middle name, and my son loves Jurassic Park. So if I'm sleeping, 
and he's awake, he will fucking stand over me. Alan. Alan. Until I wake <laughs> up and he just he fucks with me like that. It's it's hilarious. And that's exactly what it comes from. So yeah. Alan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Alan. <laughs> and I'm like, ah. But, he needs to know. flop his mouth though. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> God, but those fucking ostriches, dude. Jesus Christ. It's the eyelashes for me. Yeah, it freaks it, me it, out, man. Same. They have human eyelashes. It's weird. It's a yeah. bird. Birds yeah. are scary already, but when they're six and a half feet tall and they outweigh you, that's a problem, man. <laughs> yeah. It, like so he wakes up from the dream or whatever, and uh they're in this this cage and uh from one nightmare to another, Andy Dick is the person next to them in the fucking cell, and he's bearded and long, has like all this long hair, and has apparently uh, been a captive person for what three years or some shit. And he's he's just being Andy Dick. He's just Andy Dick with a beard and long fucking hair. Oh, yeah, no acting involved. This is no, just Andy it, Dick with a camera in front of him. No, um, and a cameo that a lot of people may actually glance over. Because yeah. it's both uncredited and the and the makeup is really well done. Yeah. Is Pierre, who is the owner of this ostrich farm, and it's fucking Brent Spiner. Mm-hmm. It's fucking data from Star Trek. Yeah. I, you know, and I never noticed it the first few times I watched it, because I, I love the next generation. That's my favorite Star Trek. I never noticed that it was him. Same same way that I never noticed it was him in Independence Day when I first saw that in <laughs> theaters. I didn't realize that it was him. And then, you know. I'm looking at all these, you know, roles that he's done outside of Star Trek. I'm like, oh my god, he was fucking Pierre. Like, I, I hate to say it, but what came to mind when I saw him in this, because I had forgotten, of course, that he was in this. I haven't seen this movie in even longer than you, I guess. Probably like 20 years for me. Shit. I know, fuck. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what I thought of was, I think, it, The Master of Disguise. Wow. Because he also had a dumb mustache in that. And it was also a, a very broad comedic role. Um, I think his gag in that was that he farts at the end of every sentence. Yes, yes, um, yeah. I think I think Brent Spiner really gets off on not necessarily making a fool of himself, but like just like running with a character and and doing undata like things because he was data for a very long time, and I'm pretty sure he relished every opportunity to play lore on on Next Gen just because he gets to change it up you know be the complete opposite of you know the flat affect emotionless you know android yep um so for him to do something like this where he's putting on a funny french accent and has a goofy makeup and costume and has a, a funny honorable i was man. gonna say it's <laughs> like gag i'm like, sorry I'm sure what? this is just a blast for him <laughs> I'm, so, I'm sorry what <laughs> honorable. honorable i think you're trying to say honorable shut up he throws peanuts at him <laughs> which i think is funny because there's a whole peanut gag when when um when they're getting uh trapped in the vehicle uh sean williams is like well we could throw peanuts at him and then they'll just run away and Pierre has peanuts on him, and he's fucking throwing them at Andy Dick, like in the cell. That, it's so that's funny. actually really interesting because, like, that, part of what's neat about this movie is that it presents as a complete dumb stoner comedy, but from a writing standpoint, from a structural standpoint, more importantly, it's actually very tight. Yeah, like very tight. Like yeah. even from the opening shots of the movie during the opening credits, when we're we're in space and we're showing all the characters fly by, yep. it looks like utter nonsense. Mm-hmm. Which is like what is all this? It's like all of that's in the movie yep. and all of that gets called back to and tied in very seamlessly. And yes. 
as you said, from moment one, the the introduction of our characters is a fellow watching Animal Planet. And guess what saves the day at the end of the movie? There's a lot of that sprinkled throughout the movie. And I didn't notice that he threw peanuts at him specifically. But now that you mention it, it's like, yeah, that's attention to detail in a pretty dumb fucking movie. But clearly somebody was paying attention. Yep, It's like these uh, broken apart peanut shells. He's just tossing this shit. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is brilliant. You know, you notice stuff like this over the years and it's like fuck man it's really well written you know nobody cared you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) so uh he get they get out of the cage because uh pierre presents a uh, question about ostriches and it's you know how fast can a fully grown male ostrich run like what's its top speed you know and of course they're all like well we're fucked but no, Sean William Scott's character just you know sh- just straight up comes out with it. He's like, oh, it's at like six feet tall and it can get up to like twenty seven miles an hour. And Pierre is just over the moon. It's like he just found a new bromance that he can talk to somebody about freaking ostriches with. And he lets him. He's like, oh, I can get you guys anything. Like, what do you want? And he's like, well, well, we just want to get some stuff out of the car you bought. Oh, sure. And one of the funniest lines in the fucking movie that gets really glossed over is they go out and the car is not in the garage where. Pierre is keeping it. And he's like, I don't understand. The car was, it, it just disappeared. And then fucking Ashton Kutcher, how do you just lose a car? It's <laughs> <laughs> the whole plot of the movie. How do you, you know, like, how do you just lose a car? It made me laugh so fucking hard. Because <laughs> I remember seeing that with a group of friends in the theater and I was the only one that laughed at that line. And they were like, what are you laughing at? I'm like, are you fucking serious right now? Like I, that was my response. I was like, okay, whatever. You know, I was like, I'm just going like to be the, the one. That the gets past this. hour of film has been about about exactly that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> just it's just a fucking brilliantly placed line because you forget, like, you don't forget that that's the plot of the movie. Yeah, but it's it's also one of those like. Dude, okay. You know, like that character's like, how do you just lose a car? Like, oh my God, bro. <laughs> You're one to talk. <laughs> yeah, self-reflective he is not. Um, but I believe uh, they get tipped off uh, to go to Captain Stew's space Orama. Yeah. Um, for what will be the final act of the film. Um, so uh, they go there and immediately they're told, and this happens like all the way through the movie is that the everything calls back to the events of last night, which they can't remember. So this is very much a retracing their steps narrative. Um, and the way the plot progresses is people that they had dealings with the night prior approach them, tell them about things that they didn't know that they had done and then give them a mission or something. So it's, it's, it's really fun in that way that it just kind of unfurls without them ever really putting all the pieces together until the very end. Uh, but they go to the space of Rama and they're immediately told that they did really, really well at putt-putt last night. Yeah. And as Richie had said, one of the first things we see is that their kitchen is filled with pudding. I guess put the biggest of pins in that. <laughs> yes. Um, and uh, they end up having to give money back to Tanya, a character that they met at the uh, strip club. Um, and that plot thread is resolved. Um, but speaking of the strip club, Richie, I... I not, I'm not derailing us here. Sure. And I'm, I'm not taking us down a dark path or anything either. But I just want to, I just want to put you in a place in time. Okay. Great taste, less filling. 
if I say those words in succession to you, does that transport you back to a world from 20 years ago in any way? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Jesus Christ, man. Um, just why? It's like Miller Lite, you know, like why? just like just yeah, that was just a that was just a fucking time where Miller Lite was like, hey, this is the beer to drinking. No, it's fucking really not, but okay. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that was, yeah. It was that, the style at the time. Mm-hmm. The early 2000s, you know, the man show was in full swing. Yep. Um, basketball uh, had their gimmick with the cheerleaders. Yep. <clears throat> um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. It was the God. culture of the time. <laughs> Sorry, dude. I just... <laughs> Basketball is one of my favorite, like literally one of my favorite movies of all time. <laughs> I, I really love basketball. I as do well. too. And just this, he's like, man, it's hard to believe that just five years ago this game was played only on driveways, and it's just hard to believe that only five years ago those girls were only in grade school. Like, <laughs> how do you get those two guys? Like Bob Costas, like fucking sold that scene perfectly with just his he facial did. reaction to that line. And I love that they kept the take where the guy delivering the line was trying not to fucking laugh. It was perfect. Like, no, just, basketball is awesome. Yeah, dude. Uh, it, it's it's like the the airplane of its time, basically, in in a lot of Mark ways. Sucker. Um, <laughs> yes, very much so. Um, so. I I love basketball. I I could watch it anytime, honestly. Uh, anyway, I just I just wanted to call back to that, just because there were so many elements in this movie that I was like, man, those gals showed up at WrestleMania back in the day. It was that big. Like yeah. they had a whole match devoted to that ad campaign. They sure did, which is centered completely around. Yes. That's right. <laughs> it's like, that was the entire campaign. Just, just tits. Yeah, this movie was like the just tits the movie in, as well in some parts because I, I definitely missed a, a funny moment. Um, okay, so like Jesse and Chester's girlfriends like get super pissed off with them for a multitude of reasons in this movie, and not one of which you know the only thing being like the space chicks show up to the place they work at. They work at, like, a summer camp for, like, uh, special attention and special needs kids, like, you know, blind kids and shit. Yeah. <laughs> and this fucking child is like, well, who are you? Because he's, he's obviously, like, reading Braille and shit, and they're just like, we're really hot chicks. And he's like, well, I have to, you know, have to feel your face to, like, be able to, like, look at you or whatever. And he starts putting his hand on their face, and he's like, wow, you really are hot. And then he just gulps real hard and just starts touching their boobs or whatever. And then, like, he fucking, like, gets noticed by... uh the twins and they run over like what the hell is going on or whatever and he's like i, I need to go be alone for a minute and just kind of like gains himself <laughs> off and i'm like jesus christ like yeah he just like exits yeah like, yeah he's like oh, i was just, just reading <laughs> he just like very quickly just leaves I but know. yeah he does have that line i need to be alone for a minute yeah and like it just th- there's boob gags all throughout this movie you know like at the strip club where they all pour the water on their 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 tits and then yeah. like the kids touching the breast and then you know uh christy boner is like putting ashley kutcher's hand on her tits like oh do you remember this and he's like no like, i don't remember anything but yeah i mean oh god this this fucking final like I, whenever we were watching it earlier um uh, my partner was like oh yeah this is like the final uh the final act and i was like yeah the final boss like that's literally like what i call it i was like oh this is the final boss of the of the movie yeah because <laughs> coincidentally we get a final boss in the movie yeah, and we need twice. a health bar to show up on the screen <laughs> right exactly <laughs> so like they go to this locker because they find a key in the pocket um 
and and it's like to this place like you mentioned and then they go to this locker and uh they retrieve the briefcase full of money for the transsexual stripper and they give it to uh they give it to her and the partner and uh they fucking exit stage left so they're never to be seen again <laughs> and then o'connell and his gang show up which they call everybody and this is fucking great gag too uh jesse and chester call uh, Jer- uh, I keep wanting to call him Jerry because like he's the more popular one, I guess. But they uh, they call Charlie O'Connell, and then they call um, uh, the Zoltan people, and they're like, "Oh yeah, we have the space time continuum," because they figure out nobody knows what it looks like, so they just go cash in all these tickets they got from like skee ball and all these other games they've played, and they just grab one of these like magic space wand looking things from behind the counter. Yeah, we have the space time continuum. All right, cool. So they call him. And when they call the Zoltan people, uh, House Parks is like, quick, to my stepmom's minivan. And they all fucking haul ass. And then they call O'Connell, quick, to my stepfather's pickup truck. And then they all haul ass. And it's like, <laughs> I, I fucking love that. Quick, to my stepfather's pickup truck. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, no, that, was, that was really cute. Yeah, I just, love shit like that. It's just kind of demonstrating that like both of these characters are, are meant to be seen as slightly pathetic in some way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> where like Zoltan, his his whole cult operation is in his parents' barn. Like, like right. they they look at the house and they're like, "Oh no, we're not going in there." At right. at some point, he even says, "Like, keep it down. My mom's asleep." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they all show up and um, they eventually like trade, you know, the that little space wand between all of them. Like they give it to the, the space chicks and then. They give it to the O'Connell character. Like, so they all have like this moment where they all show up and they're just like, oh, this is it. And then the two Nordic guys show up. That is not the space-time continuum. And you're like, oh, fuck. Like they just <laughs> blew it completely. Just couldn't keep that to yourself, huh? Nope, <laughs> not at all. So everybody gets pissed off. And uh, it turns out that this Rubik's Cube that uh, was found that uh, Sean William Scott keeps dicking around with turns out he solves it you know and Ashley Kutcher is like why are you you know still messing with that thing and it, that's the space-time continuum he finally solves the Rubik's Cube and it really uh dated CG obviously uh turns into the space-time continuum and uh it's about to go off and then you find out from the Zoltan gang where it's like oh yeah this thing's gonna destroy the whole fucking universe it's gotta be deactivated but then they're faced with a complete dilemma because they don't know if the Nordic dudes or the space chicks are trying to destroy the universe. And they're arguing over who to give it to. So the pudding comes into play. Which again, mm-hmm. great writing and it all comes full circle. The pudding comes into play. And you remember, they can't remember dick about last night. So they're just like, well, let's, we're going to ask him a question that only they would know if we were really here last night and like hanging with all these people. And it's, what was the score on the 18th hole of Putt-Putt? And the Nordic guys are like, well, you got a hole in one. And he's like, yeah, that's correct. So they go and they deactivate it. And then uh, when uh, the girlfriends, like the twins, are asking, like, well, how did you know if you couldn't remember all this shit? And there's a big fucking sign on the back wall that says, sink a hole in one, get a lifetime supply of pudding. So that's the moment of clarity for Ashton Kutcher's character where he puts two and two together. He's like, no, this is a really brilliant idea because we wouldn't have this pudding if we didn't have the score of a hole in one on the 18th hole. So there you go. And then the space chicks get pissed off, and uh, they turn into the 50-foot woman. It's like, holy shit. And then, again, there's more tit gags, and then there's, like, an upskirt 
uh, shot of her when she's stepping over a picnic table outside. Daddy, I want to go on that ride. Me too, son. I'm like, oh my fucking God. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to do it, you may as well just go for the gusto. Yeah. Like, just I, ra- ring all the fun out of that that you can. <laughs> I legitimately laughed out loud at that because I forgot that line happened. Like, it was one of the few things I forgot that happened in the movie that I saw. It. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> I just couldn't help but just, I snort laughed. Like, that's how much I was like, oh, fuck. (laughs) Uh, Because now I'm a dad, you know? Like, when I saw this movie, I obviously was not a fucking parent. But, like, seeing, like, this movie as a dad, I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ. Like, (laughs) just some shit that really would happen nowadays. Like, fuck. (laughs) You heard it here, folks. If ever Richie's in the same room with a 50-foot woman, uh, he's going to have some lewd cunt. Probably so. <laughs> Probably so. Probably. <laughs> oh uh, God. Uh, but yeah, uh, she. Uh, I think she eats uh, Charlie O'Connell. He gets yeah. better. Um, but yeah, because um, yeah, he's yeah. like spit or swallow, and she's like swallow and fucking eats him. I'm like, oh God. <laughs> uh, and she stalks our, our heroes through the like the theme park kind of, and uh, it all comes down to this this one last moment where they have the continuum transfunctioner and they're trying to figure out like they're being yelled at by the nordic dudes like i forget the name of the what proton acceleration annihilator yes and mr pizza coley's here as well uh he's actually the one that has to shout it to them because he's got that skill of projection uh so they can hear it um, and what it all comes down to is somebody's got to hit a really tiny button deeply embedded in the continuum transfunctioner, and it just so happens uh, that one of the items they retrieved from that locker at the place was a swirly straw that, of course, John William Scott held on to because he thought it was cool. But then he has a he has a flashback to a memory of Me- Animal Planet, wherein he witnessed a chimpanzee utilize a twig as a tool to get at some ants. So he <laughs> utilizes that knowledge to insert the straw into the continuum transfunctioner. Yep. Uh, it shoots a beam at the fifty uh, foot woman and uh, annihilates her. And also Charlie O'Connell uh, comes out and he's covered in like black goo or something. He got better, like I said. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. And uh, one of the nerds, <clears throat> actually, no, their dealer winds up getting with uh, Christy Boner too. Yeah, like out of, outside yeah. of that. Um, and I was going to make a, a monkey brain gag because it is kind of funny that like Sean Williams got referred to monkey brain with that entire fucking sequence. It's like, hell yeah. I was like, if I can use this like straw to like poke the little area for it. And yeah, uh, there was another gag I missed. Uh, speaking of the dealer, whenever they go hang out and uh, he gets his dog high. Uh, yeah. We were talking about how like terrible the ostrich thing was that fucking dog puppet was frightening and the matted ass like hair on it and it was just like like <laughs> yeah i don't know if it looks scarier when it when it's getting high and having a good time or when it's like gnashing its teeth like I, if, honestly when it looks like it's content is when i'm most afraid of it <laughs> that, the dog looked like a taxidermy dog <laughs> It looked like a taxidermy dog, but it also looked like Splinter from Ninja Turtles 3. (laughs) Like the Splinter that was immobile and couldn't exit that train car. Oh, no. Like like the Splinter that was just like a Chuck E. Cheese robot (laughs) poking out of a train car window. (laughs) Charles Entertainment Cheese. (laughs) (laughs) 
I made a funny. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I made another funny. <laughs> I look very funny. <laughs> like in the third one. That was him. Oh. As, as his, eye, his eyes are blinking out of sync. <laughs> and he starts shooting sparks. He looks like... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, they, sh- they should have kept using that animatronic, like, like, just like for, for like for all those CGI movies. It's like no, no, Recycling. for splinter shots, we're gonna pull that thing out of storage. <laughs> we're gonna have Robo Splinter. <laughs> now I just want a Robo Splinter movie where he's all together. like, if you see, you see like the fucking the Ninja Turtles costumes that get put on eBay and they're all decaying and shit. Oh god, with, the, like the, with ro- the gum showing with the teeth. <laughs> Robo Splinter movie, like where they're all fucked up. It's like a zombie Ninja Turtle movie or some shit. Well, what you gotta do though is you gotta oh. leave the onset audio on the soundtrack for the film, so you just hear the yes, like every time they move even a little bit, <laughs> they fucking step like RoboCop and shit. Oh my god. It's like Five Nights at Freddy's before it actually happens. Holy shit, dude. Oh, Ninja Turtles versus Five Nights at Freddy's. Make oh, it happen. Oh, fuck. <laughs> oh, Five Nights at Shreddy's and just, it's just Shredder. Like, there you go. Oh my god. <laughs> Vanilla Ice guest stars. Why not? Bring him back. Fuck it. <laughs> yeah, abs- fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah, have him do the end credit song or something. Yep. You know? Yeah, again. <laughs> Oh boy, but yeah, so um O'Connell gets spat out and um loses his girl to the dealer and uh they get their uh they, they basically the Nordic dudes men in black the fuck out of them. Mm-hmm. And so we wake up to literally the same shot of them waking up at the house and like some other shit happens and eventually they're like, Oh no, we can actually go to the twins house and then they try to do the whole where's my car gag again and then we finally get the big reveal of the car that they've been missing the entire time, and it is a hunk of shit. It's like a Gremlin or something. <laughs> yeah, like it's got like a it's a yellow car, and it's got like a green door on it, and there's the shibby on the license plate, and you know, for all things about this movie that I did want to point out and laugh about, to my stepmom's minivan, to my stepfather's pickup truck, at least Jesse and Chester own their own fucking car. I know that that impressed me. Like, like, I was like, "What? Really? They they have a car? Like these guys don't seem like they you know have it all together." But I guess they did something right. Yeah. Along the way. So like, <laughs> right? So they go and they give the gifts to the twins, and it's like these little bracelets that say "I heart you," and um, the special treat thing was like a big thing because yeah. they were like, "Okay, the twins said they're we're gonna get a special treat. We've been going out with the twins for a year. We haven't had sex yet, so that's what they assume." And it turns out uh, they're they're just these fucking hats with their names yeah. on them and yeah oof. they're like embroidered berets <laughs> yeah Yay. they both they both had the rusty griswold from european vacation thing going on where they're just like oh, fuck. <laughs> and uh like that's a thing but then they also had these extra necklaces that the nordic dudes left behind and they're like oh yeah but uh, your, your girls are gonna love this gift and so will you and going back to the tit gag it's necklaces that make their girlfriend's tits fucking huge and they're just like sweet you know and just it it ends with them driving off and that they the girlfriends notice the tattoos and then a repeat of the dude sweet gag with the tattoos and uh a shot of the sky and that's it and um a a sequel 
titled seriously dude where's my car was in development for so damn long and just never happened and uh i wouldn't say that it's a good or a bad thing uh in today's market especially with uh legacy sequels happening and then properties from 30 years ago getting revisited 40 years ago getting revisited with like direct sequels and stuff it would still be probably like possible for this to happen but does anybody really give a shit about a dude where's my car sequel now most people would probably not remember uh very much about this movie or really give a shit enough about it to warrant having a sequel unless for whatever reason um it comes back up on uh, TikTok references or social media like viral references. You know what I'm saying? Like I think that's how a lot of movies will get their legacy sequels. If if some reason like the current generation discovers this this really old movie, and I'm like, <laughs> fuck, it really is kind of an old movie now. It's like 23 years old. Fuck. Yeah, yeah, it, it's pretty fucking old. Like I said, it's been like 20 years since I've seen it. Yeah, um, but yeah, I I don't. I don't see other than like you said about like social media interest. Like if there's a lot of memes being passed around some studio, like appendages to studio execs are probably going to take notice of that and probably push to obtain the rights or something and get it greenlit. But beyond that, I don't think this would be a good candidate for a, a, a legacy or, or a revival sequel. Yeah. Partially just because the, the, the culture has moved on in ways that kind of outdate this one kind of grossly in some ways where it's like for one uh, stoner comedies, I feel like are, are just not, they just don't have as much of a place just because like this, this country in particular, at least my region of the U S uh, the relationship to, to pot and getting high has changed quite a bit yep. it, it has virtually no mystique. Um, in the Pacific Northwest, anyway. Uh, so the notion of like building a whole comedy around the idea of like aloof stoner types, it's just like you know, like pr- pretty much everybody seeing the movie actually just is that, <laughs> and and unfortunately we don't get into intergalactic adventures on the on the regular, right? Um, and then the the boob comedy stuff, we're we're a very long way away from that now. So it's like as as charming as these performers are and as tight as the script was, I feel like just making a spiritual successor to it, like if anything, would probably I'd actually welcome that more than actually just getting the band back together again to make another one, honestly. Absolutely. I agree. But yeah, this was a this was a fun rewatch for me. Like it, it really was kind of remarkable to come back to it after so long and have it like discover like, oh wow, I've retained like all of that for the most part like there's a couple details here and there but for the most part it stuck with me and i think part of that has to do with when i first watched it and i do think it is a lot of fun like i I do think it it holds up pretty pretty well yeah i was you know for having seen it as much as i did in uh, high school and everything and then only watching it maybe like two or three times in the last uh, i don't know decade or whatever i was very surprised at how much i remembered about it and how much came back you know uh I've gotten to where I don't like, I don't really take notes on much of these movies anymore. If I've seen them a billion times, like it's kind of frightening to be able to like readily recall shit. There's movies that I can still start and say every line of dialogue from every fucking character. Dumb and Dumber is one of those movies. I can quote it from front to back. You know, it's like, that's frightening, you know, to have seen something (laughs) that fucking many times. Yeah. I, I think, uh, I think I have a few of those, um, 
Transformers the movie I can probably recite front to back, honestly. The <laughs> wait, the the uh animated or the Michael Bay? <laughs> Please say animated. Animated, Richie. Okay. Come on. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> Podcast I, over. Yeah, 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 yeah. So th- that that goes uh, that goes to a conversation I was actually having with somebody. Um, not to derail again, but like, uh, we were talking about it's a, how it's like a podcast. So, yeah, yeah. But they were talking about how it's like some movies are like you know this is my favorite movie. Like oh yeah, Godfather is my favorite movie, or like um, uh, Scarface is my favorite movie, or fucking like you know any movie really is you know like oh this is my favorite movie of all time, you know. Is is Transformers two thousand seven really somebody's favorite movie of all time? Like I really think about movies like that or uh just movies period where I'm just like, oh that was fucking ridiculous. Like is this like somebody out there, this is their favorite movie of all time. Like Yeah. 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 Every movie pretty much there's gonna be somebody, but like it also just like the timeline continually moves forward and I think it was Stan Lee said every every comic is somebody's first. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I said about nostalgic picks at the top of this discussion, like I think a lot of what what really latches onto you has a lot to do with who you are and, and when it gets to you. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if there was a whole generation of kids out there that Transformers the movie from 2007 is the bee's knees. Like it's it's it serves as like the cultural foundation for their character. Is <laughs> all the things contained in that movie. Mm-hmm. And and that's frightening to me because like I'm not saying like the stuff I was raised on was that much better or anything. It's just like it was that much better. <laughs> right? Like, if I'm being honest. <laughs> <laughs> oh fuck. Uh uh, but yeah, I guess that's about it for uh, Dude, Where's My Car? Um, you mind taking a break for a second? I gotta take a leak. Yeah. Uh, so this is normally the part of the Super Media Bros podcast where uh, Richie and his buddy uh, let you know that they are founding members of the Odd Pods Media Group, um, as well as uh, do an ad read uh, for Manscaped. Uh, we are not sponsored by Manscaped, uh, but I, I guess... Uh, friendly reminder shave your face trim your balls uh and probably make sure to clean the razor in between all that business uh that being said uh let's get to the second half of the show what the hell was that so uh we just finished talking up about uh dude where's my car um which was richie's uh guilty pleasure pick um and it needs to be said both of these movies i don't think either of us feel especially guilty for, for liking no. in my case it's just kind of funny that it's on, it's on my shelf of movies just because it sticks out like a sore thumb uh, because i i own very few comedies um so any one of them is going to stick out um i'm mostly a, like an action and martial arts guy for the most part but uh, my movie uh is to, to compliment dude where's my car is a beavis and butthead do america um from Director Mike Judge, of course, but this was from the year 1996, which I had to look this up. Um, I think it was between season six and seven of Beavis and Butthead, uh, which had been around since 1993. So this is a few years into the the cultural phenomenon that was Beavis and Butthead. Hell yeah! Um, so for me, I'm I'm I think a, a few years younger than you, Richie, but um, I was very much cognizant. Like of of how big Beavis and Butthead were, they were kind of ubiquitous in in American culture mm-hmm. for a minute there. Um, but truthfully, I was 
a little bit young in 1993 to like completely latch onto them. So actually like most of my, my attachment to the characters come directly in the form of this movie. Uh, some of the video games of questionable quality, mind mm-hmm. you, um, that, that Sega Genesis game is barely playable and the Super Nintendo one is quite unfair. It's still kind of fun if you have a buddy though. I, I, I actually beat the Super, uh, Super NES one. Uh, you got to the Gwar concert? I did, and I fucking Holy won. shit. We got a fucking ace gamer on, on the podcast. <laughs> it's fun, dude. It's funny because like when I was younger, I could zoom through that game like it was nothing. And then going back to... I was like, yeah, let me go fucking replay this years later. Dude, I can't even get past like two of the stages to do this shit. Like, well, they're they're way too long, and if you don't have a buddy to play with, the health system is fucked. Like, that game is so mean. Yes, it is. Um, Speaking of war... I finally saw them in concert a couple of years ago, and it is every Holy bit. Shit. Mm-hmm, it is a, it is every bit as fun as Beavis and Butthead would would sell them to be. I fucking love that band. Uh, but yeah, dude. So getting into Beavis and Butthead was um, I was seven whenever that series premiered, and I still remember the Liquid Television shorts. I remember Frog Baseball. Like I remember watching yeah. Liquid Television. I was. Fortunately, I was not a sheltered child by any means of the imagination when it came to this shit. Like, my mom and dad let me stay up on fucking school nights to watch this shit when it would premiere on MTV. Like, when new episodes were out. Like, holy shit. I could not be more grateful, honestly. Um, so that my, my attachment had come from, like, the series and everything. So, like, I was a fan from the jump. And this movie's absolutely it still holds up like if you if you really think about uh the social commentary of a lot of the stuff that mike judge did for this movie and the series really and a lot of people kind of don't pick up on that you know they they look at it as like oh these two kids are fucking stupid but the series is actually quite fucking smart if you look at some of the stuff that they do movie was no exception Oh yeah, no, I I adore this movie, and while I haven't gone back and like watched all of Beavis and Butthead, I did catch a few episodes here and there. It wasn't like a a, a tune in. It wasn't like appointment viewing for me when I was a kid. But every once in a while, I'd like walk in on my brother, my older brother, like watching it, and I would catch clips here and there. Usually, usually I'd just see like a, a bit where they'd be watching the the shitty music videos or something. Yeah. Um, Richie, I, I'm, I'm a little bit of a tangent, but I'm curious. Sure. Um, did they ever cover the Plant Man on Beavis and Butthead? Oh fuck, I don't know. Because I feel like that would have been a strong candidate for for their their couch viewing. Because it's it's of a similar caliber to the types of music videos that they, oh. they would take in and rip to shreds. I feel like they if they didn't, they should have. But I because. That's the thing about the um, the music video aspect of it. it's only just recently, as of like Paramount Plus uh, having the uh, streaming rights or whatever. Mm. It's only just recently that the music videos have all been restored because uh, for home video releases, obviously they couldn't re- they couldn't include it because of all the copyright issues involved with the various record labels and the bands and the imagery and literally everything. Um, but. I fucking if they didn't, they should have, you know, because I mean they've they've covered everything from like Metallica to the Red Hot Chili Peppers to Prong to Primus. Uh, I mean, if you got on Beavis and Butthead, and this was a big thing in the '90s, if your band got onto Beavis and Butthead, whether or not they were roasting you or praising you, you fucking made it. 
It's like if Weird Al Yankovic covers you or parodies you. You have fucking made it. And arguably, I would say this is why Rob Zombie is as big as he is, honestly, and the band Wide yes. Zombie. Yes, 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 very um, much so. Because two teenagers wearing an ACDC and Metallica t-shirt and ACDC and Metallica both being eternally grateful for like the endless advertising to the point that on ACDC's No Bull tour for the Ball Breaker album, Beavis and but- Mike Judge animated a Beavis and Butthead opening for every fucking show of that tour. And it was amazing. Yeah, it was so fucking cool. It just, you know, and that's the thing about Beavis and Butthead. You never, you never knew what bands they were going to roast or not, you know, on this show. A band you might love, they're like, man, fuck this band. Not literally like that, but, you know, they're just like, they would dog it. And then the bands you wouldn't think that they were about, they, they loved them, you know? So it, I, I, Always enjoyed the gamble of watching, you know, like what music videos would come on. And that was just a staple of it. So, but anyway, like back to what you were saying, I, I they probably should have covered that if they didn't. Well, part of me also acknowledges that like, it doesn't need to be lampooned. Like the plant man speaks for itself. Sure. Like, like well, the plant, plant man stands alone and folks at home, if you don't know what I'm talking about, the plant man is spectacular and you absolutely need to look it up because that was one of those music videos that would play at 3 a.m in the morning that i would catch all the fucking time and uh anytime the subject of strange music videos comes up that's usually my go-to for like have you seen this shit (laughs) i didn't think so (laughs) strap yourselves in it's the plant man (laughs) um but actually that's a that's really interesting i hadn't considered that but beavis and butthead were enormous like they they were a huge huge pillar of the culture like of youth of the youth culture of the youth back in the day so like in some ways regardless of what commentary they're providing to your music video them them lampooning your video from that couch is i guess akin to like the johnny carson show Mm -hmm. or ed sullivan or something where it's 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 your launch pad uh to bigger and better things and i'm sure they anointed a lot of a lot of like up and coming bands just by virtue of featuring them on the thing regardless of what they said about them um point point trying to emphasize here is that beavis and butthead were a big fucking deal yeah um and i i was a little bit young but i i was very much aware and i was paying attention Uh, my brother had like a, a book or something that was just like a it's like a character glossary or something that just had like profiles of all the characters and all like the plot events. So like I actually learned more, I think from that book than I did from ever like watching MTV back in the day. But, um, you said you saw this one in the theater, correct? Yeah. I remember it was my cousin and I, my mom and dad took us to go see this and I'll, I'll never forget, uh, this, this dialogue between my mom and I, <laughs> like my cousin, cause my cousin was me and she was like, are you, sure like your mom's okay with you going to see this movie and i literally looked at her and i said mom we have both watched terminator 2 like several fucking times we have both watched robocop several fucking times not exactly like that but i'm like we have both watched hard r action films i'm pretty sure a pg-13 beavis and butthead film is the least of parent concerns right now but i remember going to the theater to watch this and having that line of dialogue so i will never forget that as long as i live cuz we were in the theater just laughing our fucking asses off the entire time at this movie oh yeah i mean that's that's interesting that you had to have that conversation cuz like that's kind of where i was at too was i was i was starting to watch like funny enough terminator 2 was one of my first r rated movies didn't get to robocop until a little bit later um but t2 and aliens were 
you know, funny enough, both Jim Cameron movies, some of my first R-rated experiences. Um, I got taken to the theater by, I believe, my uncle. Uh, My brother and I were on vacation uh, visiting family in Hawaii, and uh, he took us. And my brother informed me many years later that my uncle was probably stoned um, and and gave zero fucks. So I don't think we had our parents' permission, but he was just like, we're going to the theater. I want to see if he was in Butthead. So he took us and, like... Some of the humor, honestly, quite a lot of it probably went directly over my head. Uh, I was probably like nine or ten at the time. Um, and it was kind of amazing, though, that I got to see that. Um, I actually got to to see a lot of a lot of really cool stuff on vacation, uh, visiting family. That And uh, the big one for me was Batman Mask of the Phantasm. I, I get to have that as a claim to fame, that I'm like one of the five fucking people that actually went to the theater to see that one. I did the same thing. It's really awesome that that you have that experience, but it's also unfortunate that so few people did because uh, that movie did very poorly at the box office. Yeah, and it's arguably one of the best Batman movies to ever have been done. It really is, honestly. <laughs> There's a reason we did a whole episode on it. It's because mm-hmm. it, it really is one of the very best Batman films ever. But um, The Road to Beavis and Butthead, the motion picture, we, we kind of uh, covered it to some extent in that uh the previous movie we just talked about apparently was a rejected script for this um david geffen uh kind of a powerhouse producer at the time and i believe still uh he was kind of trying to shepherd this project he really wanted this to happen he had a lot of confidence in it but uh, as richie had pointed out there was a lot of pressure to try to do a live action adaptation of this and um, i touched on this earlier but i'll i'll go into it now um i wholeheartedly disagree with that like i would probably watch it but to me the the whole key to beavis and butthead is like mike judge's vocal performance for both of the characters Mm -hmm. as well as many of the other characters in the cast but also just his very specific eye for detail that the creative control provided to you through the medium of animation to me feels like the correct way to explore a lot of this because to me mike judge is like his gift as a, as a comedic writer and performer comes from his ability to observe humanity and translate it in a in a very like humanistic way but also like a, a very cutting like Almost, like not sniping, but like he's he's very good at boiling down the essence of of the world around him and presenting it to you in a way that is very believable, but also heightened ever so slightly um, for comedic effect. And so, like seeing his vision of literally like a cross country journey of of America is kind of special. Like like it's very it's very specific to to him and his style. And uh, I've always really liked mike judge um i think his writing in particular like his approach to characters is brilliant um actually more so than beavis and butthead um this movie aside uh, king of the hill uh, is the mike judge project that um has resonated with me the most uh i i love that show um i i've watched it through so many times um and actually makes me concerned that they're doing a revival of it because i know they did that Correct me if I'm wrong, but successfully with Beavis and Butthead? Like, what's the new Beavis and Butthead like, Richie? Because I have no idea. Oh, dude, it's it's as every bit funny as you would think it is. 
I don't know. If, I don't know if you ever got to watch the 2011 revival. It was a singular season revival, and um, they replaced music videos with MTV programming. So instead of lampooning music videos, they are making fun of Jersey Shore and all the other fucking reality shows that are on there. And it's fucking great. There's this one line where they're watching it, and um, Snooki is like mid dialogue, you know, and she's obviously in the show. She's like mocking somebody, and she goes, "Hello, I'm a whore." And then without missing a beat, Butthead goes, "That's all." She answers the phone, <laughs> you know, just without missing a fucking beat, dude. And um, you know, and then in this newer revival, they're watching TikTok videos, and they're watching oh. YouTube, and they're watching viral shit. So. It, it absolutely fits. Mike Judge is very uh, finger on the pulse when it comes to the timing and structure of this brand of humor. Because they first announced, uh, a little trivia out there for people that may not know this, um, Viacom didn't want to put this on MTV because this is not what they're going for with MTV. So Viacom was like, okay, um, if we do a revival, it's going to be on Comedy Central, which makes more sense, honestly. And the original idea before COVID happened was they were going to build an entire animation block around South Park. So you were going to, and this uh, this is still happening, supposedly. Uh, it's just going to take a while to get there. Uh, some of them, some of the plans for it got, it got scrapped, and I think they're going to do it separately now. But the idea was going to be South Park, Beavis and Butthead, a Ren and Stimpy revival and a Daria spinoff all together in an, in an, uh, two hour block. The Beavis and Butthead one took a little while to get off the ground, obviously because COVID happened and production issues happened. Same with Ren and Stimpy. That's actually still happening with Billy West and the original team on board minus John K because we all know what John K has done. And it's kind of, yeah, that's neither here nor there, but, uh, yeah, so they are doing this revival and, uh, it wound up just going straight to Paramount plus, and the revival series now was uh, preceded by Beavis and Butthead Do the Universe, which is a full-on standalone sequel to Do America, which coincidentally Do the Universe launches the new television series because of there's some tra- uh, some time travel element and stuff in there because Beavis and Butthead revival was pitched as, okay, these characters are in the year of 2023-2022 dealing with today's shit like they're dealing with like generation alpha children like terminologies and they're dealing with you know societal shit like viral videos and internet and cell phones and all this technology and shit so having them around this stuff is fucking great the opening episode on this new revival series is them going to an escape room and (laughs) mixing up the escape room with the men's bathroom Sounds and them right. thinking, and them thinking, the men's bathroom is the escape room because they accidentally get locked in. It's fucking hilarious. Like I'll let you decide from there. Like it's fucking funny. If nobody out there has seen it, damn, like it's worth the Paramount Plus subscription to just go watch this. If you watch nothing else that Paramount Plus has, it's worth it a thousand percent to watch Beavis and Butthead do it again. Like literally, um, they haven't lost the humor hasn't lost its touch. Mike Judge absolutely nails it. I think a King of the Hill revival would do just as good, to be honest with you. Okay, so you're you're anticipating good things because, like, I I can't help but be 
concerned just because partially because king of the hill i felt ended very well like i, I felt like like it it wrapped itself up pretty strongly and but if you say the beavis and butthead stuff is as good as you say like I do admire Mike Judge. I do think he has his head on straight. Maybe, maybe I shouldn't be as concerned, but uh, thank, thanks for sharing, though, because I, I really have no idea what the new Beavis and Butthead stuff is like, but it sounds, it sounds like it's doing well. It's fantastic, dude. Definitely check it out. Like, no shit. It's fucking worth it. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll have to get on that. Yes. Um, <laughs> but let's uh get to the movie proper yeah um so we'll just try to speed through this guy here because <laughs> this movie is pretty short um it has a lot of little asides and little gags that really stand out to me but um i'll try to talk us through this as best i can sure. um so we we kick things off with what i call the godzilla sequence yep. um, which is very important it's very important to me personally because remember i was like nine years old when i saw this movie and godzilla was was and probably still is like my biggest hero so just the fact that they had like two shots of this sequence in the trailer for this movie i was immediately interested Mm -hmm. it didn't even have to be beavis and butthead it just had to have some sort of loose analog to godzilla in Mm -hmm. it similar to mask of the phantasm in fact uh that movie also had the the gotham city sequence where a joker and batman throw hands Uh, that was also in the trailer so i guess i was a I guess it was a total fucking mark for uh, Godzilla sequences in non-Godzilla-related media. <laughs> I'm just a mark for kaiju films in general. I fucking love it. It's great. Me too. Me too. A hundred percent. So this Godzilla sequence, it, it's revealed to be a dream, but we are introduced uh, to Beavis and Boothead. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Travis and Bob, if yep. you will. <laughs> Travis and Bobhead! <laughs> God, the- uh, this movie. Uh, I'm gonna yeah. try not to, <laughs> to get too into the weeds of this movie. But, um, we're introduced to Butthead first, and he's traipsing through a city, and the military is shooting at him. It doesn't seem to have much of an effect. It just seems to annoy him. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of his first dialogue is him uh, putting his hand through a window because there's a pretty young gal in there, and he grabs hold of her, and he's like, <laughs> "Hey, baby, I'm like kind of tall." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then sure enough, Beavis shows up. And uh, because this is a Godzilla reference, and because Beavis is a pyromaniac, mm-hmm. uh, it's only fitting uh, that he gets to breathe fire all over the tanks and stuff. Uh, but then he happens to notice that Butthead is uh, holding a young lady. And uh, we can't have that. <laughs> Whatever Butthead's got, Beavis has got to get some of that. So uh, they start fighting. <laughs> and of course, <laughs> cut it out, Beavis. <laughs> no, wait, Butthead, I saw her first. <laughs> God, I, I love whenever they fight because they're... Their proportions are so horrible to look at when they're tangled <laughs> no. up with each other. That they just they're just not built for this. They're not built for fisticuffs. And whenever they're tied up and just bopping around the room, it always makes me just break out laughing. But fucking long heads. I, yeah, <laughs> fucking long heads. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> I swear. But anyway, uh, Beavis, uh, he gets on top of Butthead and he starts shaking him. And, and it's like, oh, wait, that was a dream. It was a dream sequence. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, Beavis is shaking Butthead awake and Butthead is laying on the couch. And uh, <laughs> we, we start to get one of my favorite Beavisisms in this. <laughs> oh, no. I don't think we're going to be able to talk our way through this. <laughs> We just fucking no, sit there trying no, to. No, no, no. Uh, 
just panning back and forth window footprints tv gone door open uh that that is one of my favorite gags in this whole movie <laughs> in the opening minutes of it so the, their tv is missing and beavis is f- having a fucking fit yeah like he is not handling his shit no and we actually see that the people who stole their tv are like right over there yes <laughs> like they're like they're on the curb loading loading the tv into their van oh, and just just the nonverbal the the pov shot the deduction process watch watching the wheels turn and butthead where you get this pov of him looking at where the tv was seeing the footprints on the ground <laughs> seeing the window shatters and like footprints leading out to the street and he like has to look across multiple times and just the whole time you hear beavis going no yeah no no and the whole time butthead's just going uh i think i just figured something out this sucks <laughs> this sucks more than anything that had sucked before we must find this butthole <laughs> that took our <laughs> that tv, took our TV. <laughs> q title sequence by uh is the size of k's bro i'm gonna t- yeah for sure and that's the other thing this soundtrack was really good too mm-hmm. and i mm-hmm. loved um I love how they went full like exploitation film, like seventies exploitation with the opening. It, it fits so fucking well, and it was just that's that's like the intelligence factor of like the humor and like what you can do with these characters, sticking them in different areas of pop culture. It still fucking makes sense. Like you, the opening is basically they're they're uh, they're cops. It's like seventies like exploitation films, it's like undercover cops and shit. And doing all these action sequences and things that you really couldn't do with Beavis and Butthead, like legitimately in their series, but throw them in these little montage sequences that don't make sense, and it's still fucking hilarious. And oh, it's great, it's terrific. And and the lyrics to the song and like the the wah wah guitar and stuff, it it's yes. like it's very Shaft esque. Um, but just the the filmmaking here, the attention to detail in in the homage to like seventies like cop flicks or, or like you know cops and robbers type movies from the day. Like there's there's a couple of bits where um, <laughs> Beavis slaps oh, yeah. a dude, and we get to see a still frame of it like up appear on the screen like three times in mm-hmm. a row, and then a few seconds later we get to see Butthead get slapped by a woman, and yep. it's projected in the same way, and it's just like it's so authentic to what it's referencing mm-hmm. that you can you can like feel the the love for the source material, whatever it may be. So it's like a very complete homage, and the music really, really sells it. Um, and even the freeze frame at the end of it, where they're in midair, and then it's this really bizarre, ultra-long freeze frame before it returns to motion, and the, there's a fireball that appears behind them when the credits conclude. <laughs> um, but their search for the TV begins appropriately enough. Um, with looking in a garbage can yep. <laughs> uh, that appears to be way too small to house a TV. So we're working with a couple of metal giants. Yeah, long heads, tiny brains. Yes. But, uh, <laughs> uh, they go to school. It's not in here. <laughs> they, <laughs> just, just nope. <laughs> uh, they no. go to school and uh, very, very, very sharply, actually, they uh, they attempt to steal an AV cart. Um, which uh, any of our listeners who are too young for this, maybe they don't know this, but the AV cart was a specific, very specific piece of hardware that housed in public schools that uh, sometimes uh, had a a big old CRT television on it and uh, a VCR. 
and it would always get wheeled out and, uh, on the very special days where you got to watch whatever the fuck movie the substitute had that day or yep. something. Or if you're at, or on the very rare occasion that your teacher just didn't feel like teaching you shit that day. It's like, we're going to watch The Land Before Time, or we're going to watch Ernest Goes to Camp, or something of the sort. Something of the sort. Uh, or if you're if you're a little bit younger, like, uh, I don't know, The Emperor's New, New Groove, right. or uh, <laughs> something like that. I got, but, a, I got a fun fact about that. So, um... My my family. I've, I've mentioned this several times on my podcast before, but like uh, growing up, my family owned a video store, and uh, yeah. so in kindergarten, I'll never forget. I specifically brought up the land before time because my teacher in uh, had asked me if I could get it from our video store to bring to the class to watch for like the movie that week. So I did. So from a very young age, I was the movie dealer to oh. like to my teachers. They found out like. We owned a video store, and they were like, "Well, if we ever want to save on rental fees, just get Richie to bring a fucking movie." And I was like, "Fuck yeah!" Oh, they had the hookup. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, they, did. Mm, yeah, yeah they did. Got what you need. I got what you need. That's teach. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Now give me a passing grade. <laughs> you know, I, was like, oh, I will give this. Scratch my back. I'll scratch yours. <laughs> I will give you an. I will give you an A list title if you give me an A list grade. So there you go. Have fun. <laughs> It's like, you give me a C, you're getting land before time seven. That's right. I'm just saying. That's right. It's like, we have the first one. I ain't bringing it, though. Yeah, no. Yeah, no. You'll get what you get. Uh, Not a chance. (laughs) Not on my watch. Uh, So they're trying to steal his AV cart. And uh, we're introduced to Van Dreysen, I believe, as their teacher. Uh, Their uh, uh, hippie teacher, uh, who is also voiced by Mike Judge. He's in this a little bit but every every moment he has basically is gold in this mm-hmm. um and uh, i think we get a <laughs> he said anus yeah he goes like he, yeah cause, yeah because van Dreesen's sitting there and he's just like uh telling basically to, to put it back or whatever because they're like yeah our tv's broken our tv's broken we're just gonna use this one uh yeah but he was like he's like maybe you should get in touch you know because uh like sometimes we find that we don't need tv to entertain us he said mm-hmm. anus. Like, and it's just like, <laughs> all right. <laughs> yeah, he's really trying to, yeah, he's really trying to like, and that's the thing about Van Dreesen's character that I've always enjoyed. He didn't treat Beavis and Butthead uh, like a couple of degenerate children. He he genuinely gave a shit about them. You yes, know, and like Van Dreesen was definitely written as like the teacher that cared. Every other teacher in that school fucking hated them, but he always tried to see the good in them and the potential in them. And I always thought that was so fucking cool. And, uh, I mean, it fits. Obviously, he's got you know he's he's written as a hippie, you know, for like he's written as a hippie from the seventies. Um, you know, he's just trying to like teach them lessons and all this other stuff, and then he just their dicks right back to him anyway. It's like he said, "Hey, this. oh yeah, I heard it too." You know, well, <laughs> it, it's funny because like I don't I don't even know if they're a hundred percent dicks to him. It's just like this one conversation actually is a really good distillation of like how they approach reality, honestly. Mm. It's like they only have enough attention span to pay attention to just double entendres and, and True. tits. <laughs> so like, yeah. So like he, it's it just demonstrates he wasn't listening. He was just looking well, for anything that sounds vaguely like a dirty word. Yeah, I mean, well, they there's a cup. There's been a couple of instances in the series where they were like a little bit dickish to him because like he he asked him to uh they wanted to make extra money for him one time, so uh, he asked him to clean his house. And he was like, well, here's all the cleaning supplies. Don't use my prize loofah and uh, make sure you stay away from my eight track collection. So they thought the eight track collection were movies. And so they were feeding them into the VCR and fucking them up. (laughs) And then they started washing the tapes. 
Oh, they started fuck. washing them, and they ruined his fuck. whole fucking house and shit. And he came, and it's one of the few times in the series where Van Driesen lost his shit with them. He was so fucking mad. But, like, <laughs> that happened, and I'm like, God, you have such patience for these two. I mean, even Ned Flanders has to blow up on somebody every once in a while. <laughs> Oakley dokely. Yeah, um, but uh, Oakley dokely ding dong crap. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite line from that whole sequence is, I don't know you, but I'm sure you're a jerk. Yes. (laughs) What's going on? I just got here. (laughs) (laughs) But this conversation concludes with uh, Van Dreesen attempting to chastise them and let them know, like, hey, you probably shouldn't be stealing shit. And he just kind of leaves and, of course, butthead us. (laughs) What a dork. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, but unfortunately, they drop the TV down the stairs because they they don't have enough forethought to consider, like, maybe they should take it off the tray. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, they I knock just... it down the stairs and we get a Beavis once again. No! Oh, no! no! <laughs> no! Wait, no! No! And it falls the fuck down. <laughs> and then, of course, um, Principal McVicker just leans his head out the window. Oh, Beavis and Butthead! Oh, no! Uh, uh, your TV broke. Yeah, but it wasn't our fault. Oh, you little bastards! You're both expelled! Cool. <laughs> cool. Yeah. <laughs> so they are expelled. Um, not that they care anyway. They'll be back tomorrow, probably. Yeah. But, um, and then uh, they happened upon uh, Tom Anderson's camper. Tom Anderson being the uh, the loose framework for what would become Hank Hill. Yep. Uh, the same voice, also by Mike Judge. Uh, so Anderson is, I think, their neighbor... Um, yeah. He has a camper, and uh, his wife lets them in, thinking that they're repairmen. And then, in a curious uh, kind of, I guess, early allusion to the not yet existing Hank Hill, we have Anderson introduced to us handling a butane yep. regulator, That's not it. propane, butane. Yep. Um, and Beavis goes inside the camper. He helps himself to some coal. <laughs> And he immediately spits it up because it's warm, yeah. and he explodes the TV. Yeah, I love that so much, because she's like, are you here to fix the refrigerator? Oh, we're here to fix the TV. It's just, it's just I love that. I love how, like, Beavis's little, like, um, is self-dialogue. You know, everybody has, like, the, like, oh, I'm just going to go do this right here. You know, stuff like that. Yeah. And he's, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's leaning down to the refrigerator. He's like, yeah, I was going to get me something to drink. <laughs> ah, this crap is warm. And just fucking... <laughs> destroys that fucking thing <laughs> yeah when we get to the uh the tours his uh his dialogue to himself is some of my favorite shit in this whole movie fucking and also insane. one of the one of the quotes that i use most consistently in my daily life uh, but you're absolutely right that is like a beavisism that is probably underappreciated because it adds mm-hmm. quite a lot to the whole thing to yeah. the whole package just uh, i fucking love when they come out of there or whatever it's just what are you? What are y'all doing here? He's like, oh, they're here to fix the TV, Tom. The TV ain't broken. Uh, yeah, it is. Ain't <laughs> <laughs> you them kids who've been whacking off in my tool shed? <laughs> and then when Beavis is laughing and biting his lip, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the timing on that's so great because it just holds for a second. <laughs> It's just him acknowledging that yes, I am that kid who's been whacking off in your tool shed. <laughs> He's just calling. He's just recalling good times in his young life, you know. <laughs> so now it's night, and uh, Beavis is freaking the fuck out. Like he, speaking of junkies, he is off. He is off, and uh, he is having withdrawals right now. 
And I just love Butthead calling over to him. What's your problem, Babeth? <laughs> he's no. like shaking. No. And he still has the remote in his hand. He's clicking it. <laughs> uh, so they, they arrive at a motel and they discover Pr- Principal McVicker is being slapped in the ass by what appears to be a uh, hooker or an escort or something. Mm. He's not too happy to see them. Um, but then they go next door, and they walk in on Muddy, uh, who is, of course, voiced by Bruce Willis. Yes. Um, whose wife at the time, uh, Demi Moore, is also in the film. So that this was a hell of a get uh, in terms of, you know, pop culture appeal, like big-name celebrities in the voice cast. For sure. Uh, yeah, so uh, Muddy, uh, we actually get a POV shot showing he is fucking drunk (laughs) yeah he cannot see straight at all um he recruits them to quote do his wife for ten thousand dollars and um (laughs) boothead uh he demonstrates that he is the smarter of the two um by you know kind of accepting the deal it's like okay he wants to do your wife uh the wife's name is dallas by the way Mm -hmm. And uh, Muddy, of course, has to admonish them. She'll do you twice as fast as you do her. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. I love that. I don't fucking love it because people's like, actually, we just want to watch some TV. And Butthead yeah. just slaps the well, piss the out of him. The thing is, like, Butthead is dealing. Like, he's listening to yeah. what's being said. And meanwhile, Beavis is just staring into the television, which, by the way, is just showing a test pattern. <laughs> but it just shows how deep his, his addiction goes. Yeah. Beavis, you dumbass. This guy wants us to score with his wife. He's going to pay us. We can buy a new TV. <laughs> it's like, yeah, dude, Butthead is the smarter of the two. Like, for sure. He, he really is. <laughs> like, he demonstrates it multiple times in mm. this movie. But um, Beavis does try to ask to watch some TV, but Muddy shoots it mm. on the way out and saying, no, no, we're not watching TV. You're going to go do my wife. Which, that's a fucking hilarious running gag that every TV they come across gets fucking destroyed somehow. Yeah, it, it's kind of neat that uh, we talked about quality writing, like attention to detail uh, in the previous movie, mm-hmm. Dude, Where's My Car? This one also, they not only that, they also show the state of their TV multiple times in the movie. Like they keep reminding you that it's like, oh, yeah, this whole cross country journey to save the United States. This was all instigated by them losing a TV. Yeah. And it actually is the MacGuffin that's most important. Not not that X5 unit thing. It's like, no, no they actually mostly care about the TV. But. Yeah. And a couple of funny, uh, interesting bits about this actual sequence, like within like this little 10-minute area of the film, uh, two things got taken, up, uh, taken out or changed because it would have slapped an R rating on the movie. Yeah. Uh, one of which being Principal McVicker uh, was supposed to be actually bare-assed in that uh, hotel room when he was getting slapped. And the sequence where Muddy is driving him to the airport, he actually, like, you know, is offering them a drink of his whiskey. And they take a drink of it, but they cut it all out. Because they were like, okay, well, first of all, the bare-ass is, like, a little bit pushing it. But to show, like, an underage drinking thing in an animated film would have definitely gotten an R rating. So, you know? Yeah, I, I actually agree with the cuts. I don't think you lose anything by removing that. Exactly. Um, especially the the bare ass thing. It's like it's already funny. Like the character's right. already funny just to look at and listen to. It doesn't matter what he's saying or doing. Just him vibrating. Yeah. <laughs> trying not to drop. Trying not to dump ass all the time. Right. It's right. Just, it's just fun to watch. <laughs> But uh, Muddy drives them to the airport. He just kicks them out onto the curb, basically. Yep. 
Um, but he lets them know, like, hey, there's this leather satchel, and she got big hooters. And <laughs> there's a nice little comedic beat where they just, they don't say anything in response. They just, huh, huh. <laughs> I fucking love that. And then Muddy joins them. Yeah. He just starts, like, you guys are fucking funny. Yeah, I love that shit. He's like, does she have big hooters? <laughs> yeah, she sure does. <laughs> yeah. It's like they connect on this weird yeah. level. I love that. You guys, you guys are all right. Let's have a drink on that. And he fucking turns on and fucking just damn near wrecks their asses. Just like just God, God, what a drunk. Oh, I mean, Muddy, Muddy is just completely drunk off his ass this entire movie. Uh, but they get on the plane, uh, and uh, we get to meet uh, Cloris Leachman as I I named her the slut. Yeah, I'm gonna do a lot of sluts in Las Vegas. <laughs> And she's the sweetest fucking old lady too, man. My god. I know. She's so great. And and the way she's animated is again that Mike Judge charm where so many of the background characters in in all of his projects, they you have met these people. If you've yep. lived in the United States, you have met these people. Mm-hmm. And just that subtle like like shudder that she has that you know every every old biddy you know you'll eventually you'll meet an old biddy that has a little bit of a tremor or something it's not like played for comedy it's just like it just feels natural to the character Mm -hmm. and even her like her vocal performance like chorus leachman is probably clued in on like the way she's supposed to talk and it, it it comes together really really well yeah like for lack of a better term like uh the way she was animated she's got like pre uh pre puss in boots eyes a little bit like yeah. she kind of has that you know that that charm and she, to be very honest like she was drawn like and she she looked like my great grandmother so like yeah. i legitimately was like oh yeah i know this person you know what i mean so like like you yeah. said to you know what you were talking about i was like yeah these people are absolutely animated like you've you've known these people your whole fucking life these are people you see in the grocery store and you know, oh, and and like the the wardrobe, even like when yeah. they're on the the tour bus, there's that 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 hefty woman that has the pink sweater. That's like it's it's a sweatshirt that's tucked into her sweatpants, mm-hmm. and just her build and that color scheme. It's like yeah, yeah. You hang around enough Wendy's, you're gonna see that, yeah, dude, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Um, but I do love that she refers to them as well-mannered young men. <laughs> I know. Oh, my God. Because she, she's like, because uh, he does the whole thing. He's like, yeah, we're hoping to do some sluts in Las Vegas. And, you know, she's sitting there and she's like, oh, I'm going to be playing the sluts mostly. It's so nice to meet young, well-mannered men. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> she's so sweet. And, like, that whole sequence, dude, whenever she offers him shit in her purse. and Mm-hmm. Because I, I think she gives him the caffeine pills or some shit. A couple of times, yeah. yeah. Although the second time she didn't mean to. She no. gave him the wrong pills. Um, yeah. Not that it's good either way, but, but no. she's just trying to help him out. And and it's funny because like, they're never like outright rude to her. They just are talking past each other. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's just kind of funny to see that generational conflict where it's, you know, a young teenager dealing with very old woman and, and like... It's not. It's not a negative interaction. It's just. It's a complete. Just passing each other. No. In fact, Beavis even tells Butthead that she's cool because he's like, "Hey, Butthead, yeah. this chick's pretty cool." She says there's going to be a lot of sluts in Las Vegas, and he's like, "Cool." <laughs> like, you know, it's like 
Yeah, like he, he, they're not inherently mean to these people. They just, like you said, they just look past the shit. And oh yeah, that's what that's why she gave him the pills. I just remembered it's because he was like, you know, I I poop too much. <laughs> I poop too much. <laughs> And I like that 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 she actually understands. It's yeah. like maybe you're lactose intolerant. No, no, no! I poop too much. Oh, no, I I poop too much, <laughs> and then I get tired. <laughs> and then I get tired. She's like, oh, I know all about tired. <laughs> so she gives him some no drowsy caffeine pills, and he takes the whole bottle. <laughs> Along with what appears to be like candy corn and like some other hard candies. Every candy you would imagine, every candy you would have like in an old person's like candy dish on their table. She's got bags of it. But I just fucking, I love when he chews the pills at first. Tastes like crap. (laughs) What else you got? (laughs) What else you got here? (laughs) Uh, But meanwhile, Butthead is falling in love with the flight attendant uh, who, uh, helps him put on his uh seat belt we get another uh yeah. <laughs> just, uh <laughs> can't fucking figure it out uh but she gets him and uh he immediately falls in love we get a come to butthead uh and we have takeoff shenanigans where they go cascading down the aisle and whatnot beavis freaks the fuck out um <laughs> But, uh, meanwhile, Butthead is trying to hit on the flight attendant. Uh, I got a bear. <laughs> want some? And... <laughs> you like, want some? Uh, and meanwhile, Beavis, uh, because he's ingested all these stimulants, um, he has his transition into Cornholio. Uh, he, he becomes Cornholio, which um, I'm proud to say uh, my girlfriend's nephew has been taught the ways of Cornholio. Uh, he knows how to put his head, his shirt over his head and put his hands up like this and talk about bungholes. <laughs> it, it feels like a rite of passage, dude. Honestly, like if, if I was to have kids, of course, that would teach them how to become Cornholio and ask for TP for their bunghole. It. It's what you do. It's parenting. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Cornholio, uh, he goes uh, traipsing through the aisles. He ends up getting into the cockpit. Uh, butthead does actually uh, he falls in there and uh the pilot screams at him get out of the cockpit and uh, we get a retort of you th- you said <laughs> because he's trying to capitalize on the cock because he only listens for that um anyway they arrive in vegas uh, they get picked up by a limo driver it takes quite a while for them to figure out that that sign is intended for them because they can't read so good um but uh Meanwhile, we see that the people who stole their TV uh, back in Highland, uh, they actually were supposed to be the hired guns for Muddy. Uh, So Muddy gets wise to the fact that he done fucked up. Mm -hmm. He does that a lot. Um, And we also see that their TV, uh, because Muddy bumps the van, uh, falls out onto the sidewalk next to the motel. So Beavis and Butthead's TV is still in Highland. It's It's by the motel. It's so fucking funny, too, because when he gets pissed off and speeds away, man, we noticed your TV's broken. You want to buy a new one? (laughs) (laughs) It's their fucking TV. Yeah. (laughs) Man, we got to start stealing from rich people. (laughs) Worthless piece of crap. Yeah, man. We got to start stealing from rich people. Uh, and then we get the uh, Love Roller Coaster montage. Uh, This is the Red Hot Chili Peppers rendition of it, correct? Yep. Which, uh... I, if you don't know uh, the Chili Peppers, which you know, I'd be surprised if people didn't. Um, when I first heard this forever ago, I was like, "There's no way that's the Chili Peppers," because I'm used to Anthony Kiedis or whatever. 
uh, it was before I got hip to the fact that John Frusciante actually has a very great falsetto range and he's a very great singer in his own right. So it's him doing like what is considered the female parts of the chorus. That's that's John Frusciante and they're kicking some really yeah, dude. Wow, absolutely, uh, fucking great. Honestly, it's that's one of my favorite like covers they did aside from um, uh, higher higher ground Stevie Wonder. Like ah. that was a good cover too, but yeah, that's a that's a good that's a good montage scene, and, and you know what a band to put there because I mean I, I think about Red Hot Chili Peppers that's kind of like a that's a party band you know so yeah and it was probably the the highest profile song on the soundtrack for this one it was the one that was most heavily used in the advertising as far as I know it was it was deeply tied in with the film mm-hmm. and it's used to to good effect it's a nice little montage just showing through the Mike Judge lens what the reality of Vegas is. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, also, we get something I call the Beauty and the Beast shot. Yes, um, where if you if you know your animation history, there's that uh, use of CGI for the dance floor in a Beauty and the Beast, which of course was you know the biggest animated film of its time. Um, and we have like a, a straight up allusion to it in the form of Beavis and Butthead dancing under a disco ball in Vegas. That's <laughs> on a technical level probably like highly advanced and difficult to pull off in Beavis and Butthead to America. So right. it's just like a little inside joke for, for animation people, uh, which I thought was really, really cool. Um, but they are escorted, escorted to their hotel room. Uh, they don't know about tipping, apparently. No. <laughs> I love this. As the guy leaves, the door shuts and Butthead's like, some people are dumb. <laughs> <laughs> so great though <laughs> because the guy's just standing there for a good solid minute with his hand out and he even gives a <clears throat> yeah <laughs> uh, but uh, they meet dallas uh, demi moore uh, so the person that they're supposed to do um you got two seconds uh is that gonna be enough time <laughs> <laughs> and uh beavis entertains the idea of doing muddy because she offers twice the money. oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> well i feel like Close your eyes and like think of him as a girl. <laughs> yeah, I, I fucking love that line so much. I don't know, but that is a lot of money. Maybe we'll just close our eyes and pretend he's a chick. <laughs> and he gets fucking smacked right in the fucking Slap. face. Yo. Uh, meanwhile, the uh, ATF is raiding the building. They're looking for Dallas. Uh, she orders them a bus to DC, and we get some more of that that tall head fighting. Uh, I I just I crack up so badly every time these two tie up with each other so mm. beavis is in his tidy whiteies because he's ready to score and a butthead is insisting he go first because i think it's almost like a, a like a law that butthead pretty much every time they come to blows has to get the upper hand yeah he's he's the leader between the two of them for, for sure. sure um and i love that we keep cutting back to them fighting each other and tearing up the hotel room and the the position they're in when the fighting ends is like <laughs> but it has Beavis in like a headlock and he's bashing the top of Beavis's head against the wall. Right? And that, that's another thing that cracks me up about that sequence is um, to me more, uh, Dallas notices the bus, like she wants to get them out of there. And this is her cue to hide the X5 unit on their person. And when she calls to get the tickets for them for this bus, it's like five minutes. Okay. So we're to believe that this entire brawl happens and she had enough time to like cut open, throw that shit in there and sew it back intricately in five Quite minutes. Quite the seamstress. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Still funny though. <laughs> no, it's it's still funny. It's like you're bringing logic to a Beavis and Butthead movie. <laughs> exactly, a dirty pool, man. Yeah. Dirty pool. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, they they are told by her that's like well, we're gonna do it, but in DC. Uh, so I got you a bus. Go grab your pants. Keep your pants on. Uh, the X five unit is now sewn into Beavis's pants. Uh, she sends them on their way, and they just pass by, like ships in the night. Mm -hmm. uh, the ATF agents raiding the hotel, and Beavis and Butthead get on an uh, elevator, and they get onto the tour bus where they happen upon that slut from the plane, as, <laughs> as I think Beavis calls her. <laughs> hey, Butthead, it's that slut from the plane. <laughs> and uh, she introduces them to her husband. She says, uh, this is Travis and, and Bob. <laughs> Uh, head. My name's Butt. <laughs> my name's my first name's Butt. <laughs> he corrects her because because <laughs> his name isn't Butt. Um. Anyway, enter Robert Stack. Uh, and, uh, Robert Stack is a is a boon to this production. Uh, I I really loved him in this. Uh, and uh, Greg Kinnear as well. Um, who I believe was uncredited. Uh. The two of them, their interplay is yeah, is just chef's kiss, just just brilliant. Uh, I really loved it. But the ATF agents here, or FBI, I think they're ATF. Anyway, mm -hmm. um, we get we get them uh, west winging their way down a hallway. Uh, they do a walk and talk, that is, and uh, we we learn that they are looking for the unit which is currently in Beavis's pants. And uh, unfortunately, they have to let Dallas go because they can't find the fucking thing. Uh, meanwhile, the bu tour bus has arrived at the Hoover Dam. <laughs> <laughs> Is this a goddamn? <laughs> <laughs> That's one of my favorites. Uh, uh, Is this a goddamn? <laughs> and just, you know, like, goddamn, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, and the whole time the, the tour guide is talking, you just hear him muttering to himself, and just, I'll be damned. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that so much. <laughs> I'll be damned. <laughs> <laughs> So we go on a tour of the uh, of the Hoover Dam, and uh, our our heroes end up in the control room while the ATF is uh, learning that they may have the unit because they saw them on security cam footage. Uh, and we do a hard cut from uh, <laughs> them talking about how fragile the unit is uh, to Beavis using his ass to flick a light switch. Yeah, because <laughs> it itches. Because <laughs> his ass itches. Uh, yeah, uh, so Butthead opens the floodgates of the Hoover fucking dam, <laughs> and then I think, like, shuts down power to the entire West Coast, presumably, yeah. uh, because he sees a switch that says Master Station Control, and he's immediately, it piques his interest, because he's like, ma ma master Masturbation? <laughs> cool. Yeah, whoa. <laughs> Uh, so we cut to Tom Anderson, and uh, he is, <laughs> he's like fishing or something in a oh river. Oh my god, these poor sons of bitches, because he does talk about how, well, no, we've been saving up for this trip our whole lives, and like, they've been looking forward to this damn trip together and all this other shit. And Sir, I'm gonna man, have to ask you to leave. <laughs> yeah, dude, this man, like, I, I pointed this out when we were watching, I was like, I love, okay, so like, Beavis and Butthead, the TVs around them get destroyed, Tom Anderson and his wife just cannot have a moment of fucking peace on this trip for shit like something of theirs gets fucked every time <laughs> i remember he said man 
I can't remember the line of dialogue, but like I just laugh at the way he's oh oh whatever the fuck. <laughs> just washes the whole shit away. <laughs> he's just yeah, in a peaceful It's straight moment. up a Hank Hill. Like he gets hit by a fucking t- tidal wave, and you just <laughs> talking about. Like, I, I don't even remember the exact dialogue, but just it's just funny him being like, oh, you know, uh, there's just something, you know, something about being in nature and all this other. Like he's going yeah. on this really like. Lovely dialogue about how much he's enjoying his time, and he just gets washed away. <laughs> yeah, he gets washed away. He, he gets better. He, he survives. Yeah. God damn. <laughs> Somehow his camper survives tough too. Old man. <laughs> Wait, you know, you're talking to a veteran of two four wars. <laughs> <laughs> of course, he's a tough old man. I love it. I fucking love it. Uh, so he gets hit by a tidal wave, and uh. There's mass power outages across the whole West Coast. Uh, and meanwhile, Muddy is told by the hotel clerk who did not receive a tip. Some people are dumb. Uh, where Beavis and Butthead are headed. Uh, who The two of them are back on the bus. Uh, the tour bus, that is. And uh, we actually get to see some gnarly footage, which actually, I'm surprised, didn't secure an R rating of what the X5 does to people. Uh, and it's pretty much on par with with the VX gas from the rock, uh, if you get the reference, uh, it's nasty, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, cut to Beavis getting kicked in the ass by Butthead again. <laughs> yeah, because they're talking about how the casing is only securing it from getting released or some shit. Exactly. I fucking <laughs> so the, love the, it. The timing of the cuts is really spot on. Mm-hmm. And uh, we get another musical montage in the form of Gone Shootin' uh, by ACDC, fitting enough, being as one of the fellers wears one of their t-shirts. Yeah, and fun fact about that song um i don't know if anybody out there has uh caught on to this or whatever but the actual beavis and butthead television series riff is the gone shooting riff played backwards oh holy shit i did not know that yep. i mean i obviously i know the theme music but i had i hadn't thought of that it is yeah it is it's it's just wild because you know it's that just shows how closely like the tie-ins are with like some of these bands and the music and shit, but like that was the direct influence for the theme song for the TV show. But it's just it's just the main riff that Angus Young plays played backwards for the TV series, and that's so cool. It's why that song got included specifically for the movie. So uh, it's a good song too. It is, and it, it actually fits the visuals yep. really well. And Powerage is a fucking underrated album too. So <laughs> you heard it here, folks. Yep. Uh, more more songs ought to be played backwards. That's how you can. That's how you discover such gems as <laughs> "Slam the Grandma." <laughs> if, you, if you get the reference. <laughs> uh, so shit. we go to the Grand Canyon. Uh, we dot. We watch a donkey take a shit, which is funny <laughs> to our heroes because it's like watching an ass. It's like watching. <laughs> poop come out of an ass yeah if the ass is coming out of the ass of the ass yes <laughs> it's like it's coming out of the ass of the ass <laughs> and uh, we go to utah we get a, a lot of uh, traffic signs showing us some funny things that of course our heroes would spotlight in the fall in the form of towns like bald knob <laughs> uh, we end up in wyoming and uh, yellowstone and once again we're on a tour uh, and we're at Old Faithful, and this is actually, this is this is the quote that I I, I always keep in my back pocket. It's a Beavisism. Uh, so the tour, the park ranger, he's talking about how 
He's just rattling off stats. He's talking about he's talking up old faithful about how yeah. much water and the velocity and stuff the power, the raw power of nature. <laughs> and you just hear Beavis in the background going, Saul. it's not that much actually. <laughs> That's the one. It's not that much, really. Yeah, I fucking love that so much, dude. <laughs> For some reason, that's the line in this movie that has stuck with me the, the, the strongest. It's not that much, really. I love that so fucking much, dude. So? Uh, so we we, uh, we get an eruption of Old Faithful and uh, more comedic gold in the form of um, cutting from the tour, watching Old Faithful go off, and the, the majesty of nature. Yes. Hard cut to Beavis and Butthead in the restroom, uh, entranced by the motion detector urinals. Oh, my God. Yeah, and I remember that being like a brand new thing then. I hadn't actually encountered those in the wild at this point. When I first saw this movie, I was blown away by that. I was like, whoa. (laughs) Yeah, and I remember that being like something that was newly installed in the theater that we were in. And like how just like right caught up with the times Mike Judge was like that just kind of proves like he's just he's kind of got his finger on the pulse with like literally any of the most minute details that you probably wouldn't even think to put in a movie it's like dude what could Beavis and Butthead possibly be fascinated by in a bathroom other than fart and dick jokes automatic urinal flushing fuck yeah yeah it, it's it's just beautiful comedic timing we, we cut from something that they should be impressed by to something you know mundane that it maintains their interest much better than than fucking old faithful but um the park ranger fails to stop the bus uh that leaves without them because they're so entranced by the urinals uh, so they actually miss the bus and yep. they end up getting on the wrong bus which happens to be packed with catholic nuns um and at first it seems like a, a net negative but then it's like oh, wait this is a bus full of chicks <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and the scene concludes with, hey, baby. <laughs> so, I, love, uh, I love that they, they get led to a, an entire, uh, like I guess, monastery or a church or whatever, and they they mistake the confessional booths for bathrooms. Oh, that's one of my favorite. Cool. I got to take a dump. dump. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the, the confessions that happen in there. Oh, I my just, God. <laughs> really? Really? <laughs> Was she naked? <laughs> uh, yes, father. Cool. <laughs> Beavis. How many Hail Marys? A thousand. thousand. <laughs> and I want you to hit yourself. <laughs> right now. <laughs> Harder. <Yeah. laughs> uh, and I love that when they step outside, they get struck by lightning, because that is that is some sacrilegious shit. Right oh, there. my God, right? <laughs> uh, and then we get a stop at the Petrified Wood uh, Park, which just... Just the PA has numerous announcements regarding hard and wood. So, of course, they're just going to hang out there and chuckle to themselves about it. Uh, They get ditched by the nuns here. Uh, They have been on the bus with them. By the way, uh, this movie has uh, a track that is used twice in two different montages. It's a... a, I called it the ska montage. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do you happen to know the band or the song here, Richie? Uh, That would be... uh, I know one of them is Rancid. Like It's Rancid featuring... Like another uh, another artist, I can't remember the exact name of the song off the top of my head, but I remembered it being rancid because um, I was used to like Ruby Soho and like like I had the album and out come the wolves, and I remembered um, that being like a big deal that it was 
Rancid was, you know, in this movie on a, on a soundtrack. So uh, that's that's what I remember from it. Was it? Okay. It was a well, rancid track. I, I ask because between the two of us, you're most certainly more learned when it comes to the music. Uh, Kyle's also my go-to for that sort of thing, and I always enjoy hearing about that kind of stuff because you guys have insight that I don't. But um, yeah, it's used a couple of times in two different montages, um, but it, it just has that farty brass that was. I wouldn't say it was ubiquitous, but it had a very specific sound, and it was really hot for a few minutes in the '90s. I uh, just put it that way. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, the uh, they hop back onto the bus, or at least they try to, but the the nuns ditch them, um, and they just kind of walk off into the desert. And there's a really great part where they ask some random guy, like, "Which way is Washington?" <laughs> and he's, he's like, uh, "It's about two thousand miles that way." And they're like, "Cool." <laughs> and so they just they just hoof it. They just decide to hoof it two thousand miles to Washington D.C. because they got a score. Um, needs to be said every time uh, a bus or a suspect is is uh, encountered by the ATF, uh, Robert Stack uh, is ordering full cavity searches. Go deep on them. <laughs> full cavity searches all around. Don't stop till you reach the back of his teeth. <laughs> that is a visual. <laughs> I know. Holy shit. Uh, so we set up roadblocks. Um, meanwhile, our heroes are having a Lawrence of Arabia moment. Uh, they're trapped in the desert. Uh, this desert is stupid. <laughs> I fucking love it. They just look up. Oh, the sun sucks. <laughs> just dying out there. Hey, 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 butthead. Isn't there supposed to be, like, water and cactuses? Which a lot of people didn't catch at first, but he essentially just eats peyote like right there in the fucking desert which cues the entire white zombie tripping balls sequence in the desert and you know watching this and a friend of mine was here this morning and uh he was like is this where they both trip out right and i was like that was just beavis tripping out because he's the one that moshed on the peyote in the fucking desert so he's tripping an entire ball sack you know so like <laughs> it's pretty bad yeah, it's one of those things that as a kid, it was just a cool thing that happened. I had really no idea how it how it came into play. Mm-hmm. And if I'm being 100% honest, like the sequencing of events when it comes up is slightly muddled just because there there are a couple of cutaways between when he eats the thing and when it actually happens. Right, because he eats it, spits it out, butthead notices the vultures having sex because he's like, hey, Beavis check it out like they're dying but he's just like dude <laughs> you know because uh, it cuts back to uh uh robert stack at the uh the church or whatever like in there yeah know. yeah so we, we we fart around a little bit before it comes up mm-hmm. so it's like unless like if you're not paying attention and remember i was nine like of course i wasn't paying all all of the attention in the world to the movie um, you could easily miss the fact that Beavis just ate some peyote. But, right. Um, does need to be said they do also meet their fathers in the desert, although it's it's never explicitly stated, but just based on the character designs, it's pretty obvious. There's even a line of dialogue in there saying that they're uh, motley, former Motley Crew roadies, and they <laughs> we stopped in this toilet. Uh, Island. <laughs> oh, cool! I love that so much. That's where we're from. <laughs> then you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> it's so great, dude. 
Yeah, it's just amazing how oblivious both parties are, and they they're deliberately modeled after one another. Even mm-hmm. the even the social dynamic between the two guys is basically the same. Yep. Where like the the butthead is way bigger and is like physically abusive to the Phoebus girl. Yeah, exactly. Who, by the way, is also entranced by the fire uh, that they have set. And uh, one of my favorite bits uh, from when I was a kid um, was the hey. You want to see something really cool? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, the nuclear fart, if you want to call it Yes. That. Uh, basically, uh, the, the larger butthead fella, he, he farts into the campfire and it causes a mushroom cloud. It's fucking great. <laughs> I loved it when I was a kid, especially. Yeah. <laughs> and here's, here's some fun stuff about that whole... Um the animation sequence too. Uh, it was absolutely inspired, obviously inspired by Rob Zombie's artwork and stuff like that. But um, interestingly, uh, the dude that animated it went on to do like stuff like Super Jail and stuff like that. That was on um, Adult Swim and all that shit. So the dude that did all that animation sequence uh, went on to do a lot of other shit. And you know, going back to look at, it, I was like, oh my god, it makes sense. Like, because I always like got older and thought the animation looked very familiar and you know rob zombie always always had like a very distinct style to his artwork and his music videos that have animation in them and stuff like that we actually just saw rob zombie live this past summer and oh wow yeah so like he had a video wall you know behind him and he would have like animation shit from uh his his uh movies or like uh just album artwork and shit like that and it's all in the same style so you know, the dude that did that sequence got it completely fucking right. And it was one of the cooler parts of the movie, really. And that song is fucking great. Yeah, what what is it? Who who did that? That's that's I, White I, Zombie. I, I, okay, it is White Zombie. Yeah, it's his it's uh, Rat Fink Suicide Tanks and Cannibal Girls. And that was one of the bigger uh songs. Like that was one that got actual rotation on MTV. I think at the time, like whenever they were actually phasing music videos out, like around this, which is weird to say, uh, because I think like some of the last bit of music videos, like to be consistently played on MTV happened around like Oh three, but they were still like slowly starting to like bring more TV shows in around this time. And hell Beavis and Butthead was on its way off the air at this point in time too. So, uh, Oh, by the way, the, um, it was, um, that rancid song, it was a stubborn all stars was the other artist on that one. And I think it was called like, I want to riot. I think it was the name of the song. That sounds right. Thanks for looking that up oh, yeah. or, or recalling that. Yeah. Um, Cause I remember it being like all stars, like something. And I was like, I don't think it was that, but I'm pretty sure that's it. Well, that's why we have you on the show. Cause you know, <laughs> shit like that. Fuck, I, <laughs> I fucking try, man. So <laughs> Um, by the way, uh, while while you were talking about, um, I, I looked up the name of the animation director for for this music video sequence, this hallucination. Uh, it's a uh, Chris Prynoski. Yep. And yes, uh, he he is very well versed in the medium of animation, and he is still working today. Um, as far as I know, he very talented. Yeah. Um, and this sequence really is a standout. It like the funny thing about this is that. It, it's a it's a hilarious fucking movie, but a, a brilliant piece of animation. It is not for the most part, but that doesn't affect your enjoyment factor at all. Like like for me, sometimes like shoddy or not like not top flight animation can can really get in the way of enjoyment sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this one, it doesn't fucking matter. 
Like it, it looks better than the TV show Yep, by leaps and bounds. Um, it's very, very consistent, um, which is really, really important because the characterizations in the show are so specific. Um, so to have them on model from shot to shot is really, really important. Um, but even still sequences like the beauty and the beast shot and this sequence are actually quality animation. Um, the hallucination sequence is really remarkable in that this is something that I, I love in animation is when you get to see unconventional things brought to life where the medium is used in ways that you're not accustomed to seeing it utilized. Because um, the imagery here feels like, I mean, it's directly inspired by White Zombie and Rob Zombie and all that business. But yep. when I think of that imagery, I think of it being static. Like I think of it being a a piece of hand-drawn art that doesn't move, but seeing it animated to with this degree of quality is kind of special. Like it's, it, it moves with a fluidity and, and an attention to detail that, you know, I never like outside of this movie, it's very hard to recall other instances where I've seen it done that well. Right. And that's just a testament to the talent behind it too. Honestly. I mean, that's some shit that, I would love to do, but I know myself, I, I would not have the patience to do that shit. So I have a high amount of respect for anybody that does it and does it that well. It's a fantastic sequence. Yeah. Uh, it's very well done. It's brief, but it's it's a nice little pit stop. In fact, it declares its arrival in the form of Beavis pointing out that it's like a music video. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> I fucking love that so much, too. Yeah. It's the movie pointing out that, yes, we're about to do this right now. It's like, this is an MTV production. You should have seen this coming. Fuck yeah. <laughs> and uh, to, to come back with it, uh, uh, this song uh, also slaps. Big oh, time. Yes. Oh, yes. I, I, it's, I'm actually kind of surprised that I never took the time to like look it up because I've always loved the portion of it featured in this movie. It's a great song. Um, it matches the visuals beautifully. Yep. Um, anyway, they... Uh, they are woken up in the morning by Muddy, who has found them. Uh, <laughs> he asks them if they have any last words, and uh, they happen to be butt cheeks and boobs. Um, which, as far as last words go, you, you know, you can do a lot I worse. I fucking but... love that so much. She's just like, uh, <laughs> you have any last words before I kill you? Uh, I have a couple. <laughs> I just love that. <laughs> I just want to say butt cheeks <laughs> and, and boobs. <laughs> I just want to say that again. Yeah. Boobs. Boobs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, so he takes them in the trunk of his car, um, and we get a montage of him uh, driving them towards Washington, D.C. Yep, uh, and another fun musical fact about that one, um, our, boy, our boy Ozzy Osbourne with Walk on Water, the soundtrack version on Beavis and Butthead Do America um, that was released was not the cut used in the music uh, or not the cut used in the movie. In fact, um, it was a different cut altogether. And the version you hear in the film didn't even get released until his Prince of Darkness box set came out because that was actually uh, one of the rarities, B-sides and oddities on that disc portion of it. And I actually prefer the cut that's used in the film to the one that got released on the soundtrack. It's so fucking good. Yeah, uh, actually, this is a case of me being familiar with this one um, because because this was one that uh, jumped out at me when I saw the movie um, and I did look into it and I was always frustrated because I have a thing about 
particular versions of of music where mm-hmm. like like if there's a different recording like oftentimes they'll form a preference to one and in this case the one featured in the movie is really if I'm being 100% honest, like the one I like. Um, and as you said, like it, it just wasn't readily available uh, for a very, very long time. Um, but yes, I I really love the version in the movie. Um, mm-hmm. And it's kind of weird, actually, that they didn't go with that. Yeah, and I, I've always wondered why that was. I wasn't sure if it was because like they didn't like the way it sounded or whatever. But I mean, I, I, I prefer that one, like big time. So. Uh, take note, people out there doing this shit. Use the stuff you're fucking putting in your film. Some people attach to that shit real hard. <laughs> like, I well, mean, yeah, as, <clears throat> especially if you're putting together a soundtrack, like you should, like that actually is a pet peeve of mine. Me too. When, when the official, like the OST for a movie or something, or or the soundtrack for a movie is put out, and it doesn't actually match one to one with what is featured in the film. Like, I have no problem with, like, concept albums or something, but if you're going to include the song, include the version of the song that's in the movie. Like, I I remember running into that with uh, one of the Rocky Four soundtracks. Mm. It was, like, Vin- Vince DiCola did the, the score for the movie. Uh, Richie's making a face. I think he's got some Vince DiCola stories. I, I actually have a big piece of trivia about Rocky Four. Um, the Rocky Four soundtrack was produced by a dude from my hometown. Like Holy there was shit. there was some shit done by a guy from my hometown on that soundtrack. Um in fact at well it's not called Lake Charles Music anymore. It's it's called Lafayette Music for whatever reason. That's a different town than the one I'm in. But um <laughs> there was uh hanging in the lobby of this music store was a um a signed poster from Sylvester Stallone and a few other people from the movie, like just front and center in there with a big note like you know, big like long like thank you for, yeah. you know, working on it and shit. So I, I always thought that was fucking cool because for the longest time I never knew why a signed picture of the Rocky poster was just hanging in there with this long thank you note on it. But I found out years later, like, I guess, uh, I can't remember the guy's name. Uh, I don't remember if he was like the owner of the store or whatever, but either way, like he had worked on the soundtrack and uh, somehow, and I was like, that's fucking legit. That's so cool. I mean, it's, you know, especially to people in our relative age range, it's like a really well-known soundtrack like as far as like 80s mid 80s cinema goes it's like one of the classics or one of the best known ones yeah so yeah that is a big fucking deal yeah i'll defend the and i'm I'm one of those people i'll defend the rocky franchise until i'm fucking six feet under like with the slight exception of five but i mean slight slight exception yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah. it takes a little bit of a dip but it's it's not like it doesn't go straight to the depths of hell or anything It's, it's just like that could have been better. Right. I love that it. it's like Rocky one, two, three, four, and then five subtitled. It's I. Right. Yeah, it, it's I. Right. Fine. <laughs> no, I I love the Rocky movies. They're uh, very important to me and and my family. It's basically how I bonded with my fucking dad right watching Rocky. Uh dad's from Philly, uh, so he's got a lot of stories and Hell stuff. Yeah. But um the gripe I had about the Rocky Four soundtrack though was that um a lot of the original versions of the soundtrack for it, or the OST rather, yep. um, used completely different tracks from what's actually in the movie. Like a lot of Vince DiCola's music just wasn't printed on the album or on the CD. Mm-hmm. And it was really fucking frustrating because it's like you're listening to a piece of music that has 
similarities to what's in the movie, but it's like that's but that's not it. Like, like right. that, why why the fuck why the fuck else would I buy this if I didn't want what's in the fucking movie? If I wanted that, like, are you asking me to just like put the movie on in the background every time I want to listen to it? Right. Fuck you. <laughs> fuck that. Fuck that. Uh, so Muddy uh, is driving our heroes. Uh, they're in the trunk, by the way. Yep. And uh, it takes them a really long time, like a whole day and a half, I think, to like do anything about it. Um, but there, there's a jack just in in the trunk that they just keep looking at it and ignoring it. And eventually, I guess, Butthead gets bored and he starts cranking it while they're on the freeway, by the way, on the highway. And, uh, of course, Butthead has to us. <laughs> I'm jacking off. I fucking love that bit. <laughs> uh, so it, it knocks the trunk up. While they're full speed on the highway, and uh, we get the highway disaster. Mm. Um, so Beavis is pushed out of the trunk. And just, just run real fast when you hit the ground, Beavis. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, buddy. That was, that was really pretty fast. Then just mids and just get shoved out. And I love their they. How did they not die from this shit? It's like they he tumbles and he bounces over a whole fucking vehicle face first on the ground and he's just looking up and more wrecks and then butthead gets knocked out by a bump in the road and of course we have our like our tom anderson bit well i'll tell you what what i wouldn't get for five minutes alone with those two little bastards and without missing a beat butthead just smacks his windshield and he gets in a fucking crash like with the whole pile up God yeah, so his camp, his camper that survived the fucking Hoover Dam, uh, is now wrecked again uh, in this highway disaster. Um, <laughs> Muddy is unaware that he lost the boys, by the way, uh, and the boys end up being on a news report about the highway disaster. The ATF get wise to the fact that they're still on their way to Washington, and they actually find their way back to the exact same tour bus with that slut (laughs) and uh, we get my hometown uh, name dropped in the form of seattle they're getting their washington's confused yeah um and i think that is this a band uh i was thinking after we score we could go see hole (laughs) yeah yep (laughs) yeah i fucking love yeah courtney loves band so oh that's right that's right somehow i forgot that um so yeah they end up in dc we get a, a reprise of that uh ska song and uh Muddy, meanwhile, uh, has arrived in D.C. and he confronts his ex-wife, question mark, in the garage. Uh, but th- they actually end up, like, reuniting and fucking in the back seat. Um, and it, like, mid-coitus, uh, <laughs> they're, they're uh, abducted by the ATF who have questions for them. And she immediately turns, them, uh, turns her ex-husband in uh, to the ATF in exchange for, her, hopefully, her own freedom, I guess. Uh, by the way, we also get the "We're never gonna score" speech yep. um, that Beavis has on the tour bus because he's getting frustrated because he probably hasn't jerked off in at least a week. Yep, um, and he has the promise of a hot lady in DC, and uh, he gets tackled by the bus driver. I, by the I, way, I love that for a multitude of reasons. Um, whenever he's going off on that uh, that whole tirade. <laughs> like he he points to the old slut from the plane's husband. He's like, like look at this guy. He's probably scored like a, a thousand times, and that dude's like, "Oh yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah." yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> That's great. Oh shit. Uh, yeah, and I love when the driver's trying to interrupt him, and just hear, a, "Shut up, asshole!" Yep. 
<laughs> just to have that in the holster ready to go. Yep. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> That's aggressive. I know. He's <laughs> God damn it. Uh, so Beavis gets his ass kicked by the bus driver and, uh, the old slut, she, uh, tries to console him by offering him, uh, some sleepy pills, uh, some Xanax actually. Mm -hmm. And she's like, does this say Xanax? (laughs) It's like, no, uh, those are caffeine pills. Uh, so basically Cornholio is about to appear once again. Uh, (laughs) and now we're at the white house and a lot of shit goes on here. Um, but uh, just to skim over it real quick, yep. Richie, did uh, did you have any highlights from the White House segment of the film? Because this is basically the finish line. Yeah, okay, so uh, for me, I still love, you know, just the mannerisms of them being in the White House and pretty much just pointing out how fucking lame it is, really. Like, because they're, they're uh, I think it's, yeah, Butthead is in the this big dining hall uh, part of the tour of the White House. Uh, where's the TV? Oh, there, we don't have the this is the dining room. We don't have a TV here. This house sucks. <laughs> you know, just, and then he, he eventually finds Chelsea Clinton, like in, mm-hmm. in the bedroom. And, um, he just looks at her. He's like, Hey baby. And she throws his ass out of a fucking window into a pricker bush down on the fucking first floor. <laughs> just throws his ass. And of course, you know, Beavis rolls in there, and he's already fucking like crazy enough, like a cornholio mode from the the sleeping pills, or the or the caffeine pills, and he finds like coffee and sugar cubes, just and he's just guzzling that <laughs> shit, like, and uh, he's talking to like all these like foreign people that are in there, and he's like, and they're just like confused, and then then this is where they get the whole uh, ATF involved, and they they come and clear the building and. Fucking Tom Anderson <laughs> gets fucking is this is God's country and it, it's like sir we're gonna have to ask you to leave no wait a minute damn it we've been saving up our whole lives for this trip <laughs> fucking can't yeah, the, the timing on him just like being being in his glory and like talking about how they they like harvested all their resources all these years just to get here and then the second like the second he's done with the thought. A hand lands on his shoulder and it's like, we're going to have to ask you to leave, sir. <laughs> now, wait a minute. Damn it. <laughs> God, that poor son of well, a bitch. One of my favorite Tom Anderson lines in the movie happens when they're on the at one of the roadblocks. <laughs> I find anything broken in there. You and I are going to tangle. Oh, yeah. <laughs> as soon as he says that, the TV just gets smashed to shit. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, Beavis actually finds... Speaking of Anderson, he finds the camper outside. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, you see a camper, you got to go off a whacking in the trailer. <laughs> yeah, because he still has that picture of Dallas that Muddy gave him. Yeah, and I don't know the name of the piece of music that plays here, but brilliant music choices. And honestly, I want to say that's one of the only, that's one of the only songs that is it's not even on the soundtrack. It's just a piece of oh. music. So, well, it, it they should have included it on the on the disc because it, it's awesome. Because it, it just pops up and it fits so well. Because we're just cutting back and forth mm-hmm. between Beavis looking at the photo of Dallas, looking at the trailer, looking at the photo, looking at the trailer, and he just helps himself. Um, yep. <laughs> so Tom Anderson is escorted off the premises of the White House, uh, and he finds uh, Cornholio whacking in his trailer. 
<laughs> and you just hear Beavis going, no, no. <laughs> Uh, but Anderson God. tosses him out onto the street in his tidy whities um, Meanwhile, the ATF is uh, surrounding Beavis, who is still in Cornholio mode. Uh, he has some truly amazing lines here. You cannot run from your own bunghole. <laughs> <laughs> I will lay waste to your bunghole. <laughs> so great. <laughs> bunghole. <laughs> uh, so he's like pacing back and forth, just like rambling about bungholes and... I have no bunghole. Oh, oh my god, yeah, when he starts, yes. Bunghole! <laughs> but how fast he just comes out of it. That's the thing about yes. Cornholio that makes me laugh, is that, like, he's, like, all in one minute, and then, like, the very next second, he's like, what's going on? He's yeah. confused as Why shit. Why does everybody want to see my schlong? I fucking <laughs> love that so much. <laughs> Because they keep saying unit. They keep asking, where's the unit? <laughs> like, uh, why everybody want to see my schlong? Yeah, because they go to Butthead first because they find him in the bushes or whatever. And they're like uh, checking his pants because they're like, um, my, uh, my unit and my pants. And that's whenever he gets cavity searched. It is fucking hilarious because cheap. He's all clean. Uh, did I just score? It's <laughs> <laughs> a manner of speaking. Yeah. Very, very <laughs> visibly confused. And it's funny as fuck. <laughs> so... <laughs> But that's where uh, they that's where they go catch uh, Beavis on the outside of the, uh, the the camper, and he's got no un, he's got no pants on, and that's when uh, Anderson comes out of the front door, like oh, take your damn pants with you, and they pull guns on Anderson, and like this man just cannot catch a fucking break. No, the, the whole movie is just shitting on Anderson. It's kind of brilliant because he seems like a fine individual, like he seems like a nice guy, but, but it's just, his whole vacation just goes to shit. Yeah, but uh, yeah, he emerges from the camper with Beavis's pants, and of course, that's what they're looking for. So an ATF agent runs out and tries to snatch them from his hands, and we get the slow motion moment where the pants rip, the, the X five unit flies into the air. I didn't know I needed it at the time, but um, hearing Butthead laugh in slow motion is one of the funniest fucking things you'll ever hear. Yeah. (laughs) 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 It's brilliant. Um, And the X5 unit bops him on top of the head and falls into his hand. And there's just this this pregnant pause where everybody's like, is it going to go off? But it just, uh, there you go. (laughs) And the day is saved. Right. And I love the music that plays when they're arresting Anderson, uh, because it it has this like solemn like orchestral vibe to it. That's like, it's just like a a war criminal is being trotted out in front of the public. They even show like Boy Scouts like bowing their head, like watching him go into the right. Party Dude, I forgot one thing uh, that happens in this movie that I still crack up at. So um, when it's one of the se- very many scenes where the ATF are looking for Beavis and Butthead. And they fucking raid the school, and uh, yes. they, they bust in on Van Driesen singing "Lesbian Seagull" to his his uh, his class, and they just destroy his guitar and like gut him with the butt of a gun and shit. I'm like, God, this poor bastard. He he really, of all the people, did not do a damn thing. <laughs> he just yeah, I, no, he, he's, he's nothing but innocent. I think the principal also gets arrested, but like watching them, Jeff Jarrett and his guitar. Is oh my fucking god, <laughs> because fucking the guitar didn't do anything. Like it's like you can just look in it. You don't have to fucking smash it on his desk. I know, right? <laughs> poor bastard. Like it's just it's just so funny because he's just sitting there. <laughs> I'd like to sing a song for you guys. It's called Lesbian Seagull. Like, just real, just calm. And 
Um, I, I uh, laugh about that song being featured on the soundtrack too because um, it's uh, Engelbert Humperdinck mm-hmm. that does that one. And I can't help but think in putting together the artists for this soundtrack that that's the only reason he got on this soundtrack is because of his last name. <laughs> like, I mean, it, it is one of the funnier names that exists in the world of music. For like, sure. I, I often see, like, it, it has to be, like, a troll or something, like, going through uh, thrift markets and, like, and secondhand operations and stuff in town. I often see his records on display, and I'm pretty sure it's just because it's attention-getting. Mm-hmm. But I actually have, like, friends and family who actually appreciate the man and his music. Same. It's just, like, you see that, that string of names, it's just, like, just, what the, what? <laughs> right, because, like, if you look at the soundtrack, it's, like... I always like Ozzy, ACDC, Chili Peppers, Isaac Hayes, No Doubt, fucking LL Cool J, and Butthole Surfers, White Zombie, Engelbert Humperdinck. <laughs> well, <laughs> such I a mean, sore th- thumb. It's great. I love it. There was a, a weird a thing going on in, in like 90s media, though, where, where they would they would do that. Mm-hmm. Like, like, for instance, like Tim Burton has a, a Tom Jones in, right. in Mars Attacks, mm-hmm. and he wanted what Sammy Davis Jr. in in what Batman yep. <laughs> and stuff like there, there's like the creators of these things you know just like the rest of us they're all nerds about their own stuff mm-hmm. but they don't have every opportunity to like show their true colors with like the things that they were raised on or the things that they actually appreciate mm-hmm. so like every once in a while it's just like you know what I like Engelbert Humperdinck Hell yeah. I like Chuck Mangione. I'm going to make him a recurring character on King of the Hill. Fuck <laughs> <It's> yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's like, it doesn't matter if it makes sense. Fuck. <laughs> it's good shit. Yeah. Uh, feels so good. Uh, <laughs> so uh, the day is saved. Tom Anderson, they the ATF ties him together with Dallas and Muddy because her photo was in his camper. Um, and so the ATF convinced themselves that Beavis and Butthead were completely innocent. It was all the master stroke of Tom Anderson. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that, like, it's so mean, but the, the, the news crew start interviewing Beavis and Butthead as he's being carted away. And they're just saying things like, I always knew something was wrong with him. <laughs> like, he used to hit me. Oh my God, I know. <laughs> it's just like, you're not making it better, man. <laughs> oh, fuck. Yeah, so our heroes get to meet Bill Clinton. Uh, it's, a, it's not actually Bill Clinton, but it's a pretty solid rendering of him and mm-hmm. a decent impression. Uh, and he makes them honorary ATF agents. And we get a cool, huh? <laughs> I fucking love that. Um, <laughs> we're, we're part of the Bureau of Beer and Fire <laughs> and Cigarettes <laughs> and maybe checks too <laughs> Beer and Cigarettes are cool <laughs> I mean that's that's the thought process Yeah, uh, but they, they get kicked onto a plane back home and wouldn't you know it like two seconds after they're walking back to their neighborhood they happen upon their TV their exact TV it's still in front of Muddy's motel room um, and we get a walking into the sunset ending, and it needs to be said the uh, the uh, actual score uh, for this movie um, is done by John Frizzell or Frizzell, um, who is not a household name as far as I know. But if you look into his filmography, like 
so much of it are movies that I would love to review for the podcast. Oh yeah, <laughs> I don't know what it is about the man's filmography, but just he he has touched a lot of productions that are not necessarily good in the objective sense, but they're they're movies that I have things to say about. But yeah, this the piece of music he composed for this ending is once again tapping into like a a, a flowery like orchestral vibe that completely clashes with the visuals of two ugly teenagers <laughs> finding their broke-ass TV and walking down the street <laughs> into the sunset. But it, it works brilliantly. It really highlights the moment. Um, and uh, I think we we end on them walking into the sunset. Uh, the phrase butt dumpling is used, which is one I'm going to have to use someday just because, <laughs> just because that's a new one. Ass goblin. Uh, it's very unexpected. Ass goblin. Yep. And butt doubling, yeah, it's good stuff. Rather. I one final funny thing I I have always thought was funny about that sequence is the fact that Beavis and Butthead are typically always portrayed as physically weak people. Yeah, and Butthead is making Beavis lug that he- you know that bitch is heavy because it took the two guys stealing it to lift it. He's making Beavis's weak ass carry that fucker by himself all the way back to their house. He's not even helping. It's <laughs> pretty fucking funny to me. Yeah, no, I it's mean like a that, little... that's a two-man operation right. for a, for a, a a wood encased CRT television from back in the day. Yeah, you better have a buddy. Yeah, but it's like it's this that kind of like under the table like low-handed butthead just is always being a dick to be. It's like fucking carry it yourself, bitch. <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean it's very fitting for the character. It actually reminds me of like hanging out in the neighborhood with one of my good friends that he has, he has this expression he uses. Uh, we would come across furniture and stuff like mm-hmm. things just abandoned on the side of the road. Yeah. Well, grab it in Trevor. <laughs> 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 it's like, do you need this? Nope. <laughs> it's like, are we carrying it several blocks back to my apartment? Yep. There we are. <laughs> We're doing it. Grab it in. Oh fuck. Uh, but yeah, yeah, that was uh, Mike judges beavis and butthead do america um man that was a fun conversation but in your cult cinema showdown episodes does there need to be a winner declared between the two we typically do um sometimes if we know it's going to be a difficult choice we'll put out like a twitter poll and just kind of let our listeners decide based on the results of said poll but um typically devin and i are on the same page when it comes to who we think would win out of the two only because like, it's not even biased. Uh, it's just looking at like what movie, what movie entertained us more? What movie was, um, you know, it's, it's, it's not like, Oh, this is cinematically better. Or it's like, wh- which one did we have the best time with or which movie was, um, you know, just the better for both of us as viewers. And, if it were me on this one, I would lean towards Beeps and Butthead all the fucking way. Um, yeah. It still holds up. Uh, it's forever ingrained in the pop culture zeitgeist, like big time. And um, there's always going to be Beavis and Butthead. I mean, we're still talking about them in 2023, and they're they've been revived twice. And uh, Dude, where's my car? Is just kind of like a pin in an era and time, whereas Beavis and Butthead are for lack of a better term, like actually timeless. Like really, if you look at it, it's fucking weird to say about those two characters, but they are timeless. We're in 2023 talking about them and they came out 30 years ago as characters. 
I know. Uh, then, now, forever. Together. <laughs> <It's>, oh. <laughs> when did they start doing that? Oh, Holy shit. God. WWE Fuck is just... off. <laughs> Uh, it, it all comes back. <laughs> it all comes back. Sour fucking note, Richie. <laughs> Is it just me or God does damn. Vince McMahon sound like an old crotchety Beavis when he gets really excited? Uh, yeah, you may be onto something. Ah, goddammit! Goddammit! I mean, if you sped him up, like, just, just a, a couple of tenths of a percent or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's gonna puke. <laughs> I'm really, Richie, that's that's an experiment. Try try taking that audio from beyond the mat. Oh shit! Speed right. it up just a little bit. See if he just turns into straight up Beavis. Yeah, pretty sure he fucking does. <laughs> He's gonna puke. He's gonna puke. He's gonna puke. He's gonna. He's gonna puke. He's gonna puke. He's gonna puke. He's gonna. He's gonna puke. Yeah, yeah. He's gonna puke. <laughs> He's gonna puke. <laughs> And then he also has like butthead moments where he kind of drops like in the same beyond that. Well, need to do a little work on that, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe maybe he Vince secretly is just Beavis and Butthead yeah. personified. He's, he's just Mike Judge in a different human skin suit. <laughs> That's terrifying. <laughs> yep. Vince has the money; it can be done. <laughs> That's right. Uh but yeah, I would I would say Beavis and Butthead's the clear winner, sure. if only because my my face hurts after this portion of the conversation. Same. Whereas it, you know, I was having some laughs, but now my my sinuses are all fucked up. <laughs> so, yeah, I laughed yeah. so hard I was seeing uh, I was seeing dots a couple times. Like I was laughing so hard, and and not 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 um not too far from the dots Beavis was fucking seeing in the desert. So like. <laughs> Okay, well, I think we have a clear winner here. Shit, yeah. So, in the clash between these two movies about two dumbasses, uh, yeah, Beavis and Butthead's the clear winner. Um, but yeah, uh, I guess this is the end of the discussion here, Richie. So, uh, I'm going to say thank you uh, for joining me today. This was a blast. I uh, can't believe it took this long to have you back. And I uh, very much like to have you on again very, very soon if you're at all willing. Absolutely. Always willing and ready. Like, uh, would love to get you on Super Media Bros too sometime. That that would be a fun, fun fucking time oh, as well. Man. So no, please, please hit me up. Yeah, I, I would love to do that sometime. Like it doesn't even matter what we talk about. I think that would be super fun. Fucking a, definitely will do yeah. that. Well, uh, before you go though, uh, would you care to let our listeners know where they can find you and uh, all of whatever you've got going on on the internet these days? Absolutely. Um, Come check us out at supermediabrospodcast.com. You can listen to all past, present, and future episodes there. And uh, we have links to our YouTube channel and our social medias there. Uh, we're most active at supermediabros underscore on Twitter, uh, supermediabrospodcast on Instagram. And uh, we always joke about this because it's the truth. Um, our Facebook is kind of a graveyard. I mean, <laughs> Facebook is kind of a graveyard, period. But our Facebook page is very much a graveyard. Um yeah, I mean, what we've got going on this year, we're we're gonna do some more um, content regarding um, XFL. Uh, we're gonna be doing some more talks on uh, the new Power Slap League that's coming out. Um, we do plan on, as you've uh, heard a little bit in this episode, uh, we are planning on doing some more of the uh, Cult Cinema Showdown episodes uh, throughout the year. We typically will do more of those as October and December roll around because Halloween and Christmas, respectively. But uh, we, we do plan on doing that a little more, probably a little more music-focused episodes because we lacked that a lot in 2022, 
and we actually uh, did an episode on Villa Vallo from him, uh, his most recent solo work, and it's gotten a pretty warm reception uh, from listeners. So we definitely plan on doing more music-based discussions in the future. But uh, yeah, we're we're around mostly talking about film uh, and WWE and uh, AEW. So. Yeah, just come hang out with us. It's always a, it's always a fun time. Even if uh, even if you don't know what we're talking about, we try to make it as accessible as possible for anybody that just wants to you know come hang out with us for a little bit. So, yeah. No, you guys have great chemistry on the mic. Like I I find myself tuning into a lot of episodes that I have no foundation, like no base of knowledge uh, regarding the subject, but it says a lot that I can enjoy it anyway and learn something along the way. Um, so yeah, keep up the good work, man appreciate that well appreciated um and yeah as for uh as for myself and uh catching up on cinema uh you can find all of our catching up on cinema episodes collected on our website at catchinguponcinema.com you can also find us on the social medias in the form of the instagram at catching up on cinema as well as the twitter at catching cinema so feel free to hit me up at either of those our facebook is also a graveyard it's basically just a reposting graveyard of whatever finds its way to instagram uh, you can also find uh, the podcast available on pretty much every hosting platform you can imagine, uh, including Bitcade. So fucking Google it. And that being said, thanks so much for listening, and we will catch you next time. Bye.